This podcast is brought to you by Dr. James McIntyre and his team at Adjust Your Health in North Calgary. When I met Dr. James almost 20 years ago, I was taking 10 to 12 Advil every day just to get through my workday, not to mention the stuff I was doing at night like alcohol and other substances. I suffered from chronic pain due to car accidents, sports injury, and repetitive motion damage from being a drywaller. I had worked in the trades for nearly 20 years and had more than 10 car accidents, three very serious ones. I had some severe sports-related injuries. Most of my cryo SI would only give me temporary relief from day-to-day pain. It was getting expensive and depressing to see the other doctors knowing that I would be right back into the same boat the next morning. I was lucky that the last chiropractor I saw said that she cannot help me anymore and directed me to Dr. James McIntyre. After only a few visits, I felt tremendously better. Most of my pain had left, my mobility was coming back, and I didn't need as much Advil. If I remember right, it was only a few months and I was almost completely off the pills and life was getting better. I have known Dr. James and his crew for almost 18 years and referred almost everyone I know to him and they have become Adjust Your Health advocates. The team at Adjust Your Health offers a wide array of services including acupuncture, massage therapy, chiropractic, and physiotherapy. They believe in a multidisciplinary approach to patients' care and use a variety of techniques to help their patients achieve their goals of pain relief or injury resolution to improve sports performance. Calgary is privileged to have such a highly qualified team of practitioners available to accommodate your health and well-being needs. If you are in pain or an athlete or just want to be as healthy as possible, check them out at www.ayhcalgary.com. Our next sponsor is Paul Nye from Nye's Touch and Nye's Tats. There's some debate over who invented the first motorbike. Several men claim to have the first designer patent. Regardless who it was, my guess is that the very next year, some dude started customizing his newly invented contraption. Throughout history, men and women have been altering their transportation to move faster, turn sharper, or turn ahead or two. If you are customizing your ride to be low and slow, shiny and fast, loud and obnoxious, You have not completed the project until you have your custom paint job done. Paul Nye at Nye's Touch is your guy for custom paint on bikes, boats, cars, buses, or anything else you ride. You want a bike that looks like no one else? Nice Touch. You want to honor a fallen friend with the hood of your car? Nice Touch. You want a mural of your favorite girl on the side of a bus? You guessed it. Nice Touch. Paul has been airbrushing for more than 15 years and his work will take your breath away. Check out his work on Instagram at Dripping Chrome or on Facebook at Nice Touch or call him at 587-435-4602 for your free estimate. Don't forget, Paul will be in a tattoo studio near me soon. And now, on with the show. What? No. Podcast. With Chad Ferguson. Hey everybody, this is Chad with the I Wanna Know Podcast, a kick-ask podcast. We're here today with my buddy Nathan Beckert. See, I did, I talked about messing up your name and I messed up the first name. It's Nathan <laughs> Beckert. Um, I've known Nathan probably 15 years, maybe 20 years. 
Um, he has a degree in philosophy, um, just about got his master's in philosophy, and he's recently written a new book, and he's one of my favorite people to talk to. I love having philosophical discussions with Nathan about religion, about life, about everything else. So everybody, Nathan Beckert, how's it going, buddy? Good. How are you doing? Good. I'm glad I pronounced uh, your last name correctly this time. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. That's a rare thing. <laughs> yeah. So let's start by talking about your book because uh, that's a big accomplishment. That's no small task to get a book out. Yeah. It was um, a dream of mine ever since I was a kid. Actually, when I was little, or junior high, elementary, junior high, it was my dream to be a writer. Nice. Uh, Gordon Corman, Canadian author. I, was, I loved him as a kid. He wrote these hilarious books. And I read the back of one of his books, and it said he wrote his first one when he was 15 years old. And I thought, wow. oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I want to do that. So I got all inspired. So I wrote this like Indiana Jones-style adventure story. Cool. It ended up being like about 100 pages. So yeah. I submitted it for a special class project and got an A and loved it and had it typed up on the computer. And then the computer crashed and erased uh, it. The old days, <laughs> the right? The old days. <laughs> it was an ancient computer. It was hilarious. But, um, so I had that dream. And... Uh, Kind of lost that dream, kind of became an adult, and life gets in the way. Yeah. But after my divorce and then seeing this counselor, um, he actually inspired me again because I was seeing him and just talking about life and trying to get my life back on track. And yeah. Told him you know, he knew what I did. I worked in construction. And then I told him, oh, yeah, I wrote a book when I was in junior high. Yeah. He's like, what? And he goes, well, Nathan, what are you doing building decks? <laughs> <laughs> Hanging drywall. <laughs> Hanging drywall. Yeah. What are you doing? And I was like huh, okay. And it just kind of spurred me on again. All of a sudden, I was like, I remember going home that night, actually, and I kind of got the idea for this book. Awesome. And then I just slowly started. It took me five years to write the first part. Yeah. Probably close to five years to write the second part, and now they're both combined into one novel, and that's what's getting published here in end of October. So awesome. I uh, had a, a friend on, Andy Caselli, uh, a little while ago, and he's a, a teacher, but also a writer. And uh, he writes books and then just does nothing with them. He goes, oh, yeah. it's a book. But it's not worth publishing. It's not per- worth putting out. Like it's a, it's an mm-hmm. exercise in doing the work. And in my mind, I never thought about the, like because it takes so much effort to get a book out, right? And to yeah. get it to the point where where a person is happy with it. And the more you do it, obviously, the better you get it. The faster it comes out, and the better they are, and mm-hmm. um, storylines and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, those Daniel Steele guys must write a book a week. And yeah, exactly. You know? I don't know how they do it. <laughs> yeah, but. Um, but yeah, just to to put it aside, or he says I'll even delete it. Just like no, it's not good enough. But yeah. it's but it's a whole book. Yeah. So what what kind of processes did you go through in the writing of this book? Um, it was I wrote some short stories originally too when I was younger and different things, and um, I can remember for the longest time it was really difficult for me to even show anybody anything I'd written. Yeah, because like novels, like fiction felt so personal because like I'm making this up right it's not a nice clinical essay on philosophy or something that doesn't have the emotion in it that doesn't have those kind of personal right. aspects to it so like for the longest time the only person who ever read anything I'd written was my sister yeah I showed her some short stories and different things when I was a kid and um and I remember actually talking to a prof in bible college about this and he said well maybe that's where your heart's at maybe you should write maybe you should and I just remember thinking, no way, no, I just, I, I feel naked. I f- literally feel like I'm naked in front of somebody if I'm letting them read this, wow, right? Yeah, so yeah. it took a long time for me to get over that hang up. Yeah. And then once I did, it was like, okay, no, I just really enjoy this. I enjoy the creativity of it. Like the, I have this creative side that just, I love to put pen to paper and get this out. Yeah. So I managed to get over that. And I think 
there were a number of things. Like I, I started doing more public speaking and getting over some of those fears too of putting myself out there. Because as a kid in school, I hated public speaking. Like I was terrified of speech class when you had to give a speech in front of the class and do all that. But then I ended up becoming like, well, you know, I was a pastor for a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, so I preached, started preaching sermons, which was terrifying at first. But then I got over the fear, and you still get nervous. You yeah. Know, I, I think I'll always get nervous getting in front of people. But I'm going through it right now. Yeah. So my pastor has uh, challenged me to uh, host. So at the end of the sermon, you go up and you give the announcements and talk a little oh, bit about yeah, tithing yeah. and stuff. And then I did my first five-minute speech uh, last Sunday. It was nice. a five for five. So we all got up and spoke about life groups and small groups and how important they are. And, yeah. and so that, uh, it, you know, I still feel like I'm going to throw up the whole time yeah, I'm yeah. up there, but <laughs> it went off pretty good and yeah. people liked it. So, but yeah, it, these are all just such little things, but yeah. when you overcome each little thing, they become this it, massive It builds. Thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I found that, like, I was able to conquer those fears, build those on those fears, and then I realized... It wasn't bothering me to have people read my stuff eventually. Beautiful. And I got to the point where I wanted people to read it, and yeah. I wanted feedback. And I legitimately, like, I knew some fans of fantasy, so I'd like, hey, read this and tell yeah. me what you think. And what should, what, should I change something? Is there something you don't like you'd like to see more of? Yeah. And that, and I would love to talk to those couple of people that, you know, are like like me, love fantasy, so we'd talk about it. And I should hook up you and Andy Casale that oh, I yeah. had on the show because yeah. like, he, cool. he loves to write. He likes mm. fantasy and fiction. And, and oh, so cool. I think that, uh, I think you two would at the very least be able to encourage each other on. Yeah. Um, but uh, super, super smart guy and really, really well spoken again. So I'll, I'll cool. hook you two up. Okay. What, what you were saying earlier about um, um, not wanting to release your stuff, that's what amazes me about every artist. So whether mm. you're writing a book or a painting or you know editing photos or doing comedy is like artists have such thick skin. Yeah. Like you have to you have, have to this this yeah. bravery that no one else has. Yeah. And I had thin skin for a long time, right? Yeah. Like growing up, right? Like I had to I had to learn how to thicken it. Like and it is literally just practice. Yeah. I think I don't know any other way that and I even got the guts up to do some stand-up comedy in Lethbridge. So I remember I, you know, that. I went to yeah. some open mic nights, <laughs> yeah. and I kind of quit from that because I got to the point where I was pushing myself, like how <laughs> almost how dirty can I go? Some of the stuff was like oh, okay. I was pushing the line, and yeah. I didn't like it. At the okay. end of the day, I didn't like how I felt. Like it's one thing with friends, you know, you can you can tell jokes that you would never tell <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> in front of a nor- and full group. And I realized I was telling stuff that yeah, with people who really know me and know where I'm coming from would know 100. I'm joking. Yeah, this is not. But like I was kind of realizing, yeah, do I really want to put myself out there saying this kind of stuff? Right. I'd still do open mic. I'd I would go back if I would just do maybe more clean stuff or just more stuff that's just general general funny. stuff. Yeah. You know, I can save the other stuff for you know, when it's just you and me or <laughs> yeah. you know what you know what I exactly. mean and that kind of thing. But it's a, it was a good practice. Like the first time, the first three times I did an open mic. Yeah. I, I was so freaking nervous, and I was so I thought I was gonna have a heart attack by the end of each one. Yeah. So after my third time, I was like, "This is this is nuts." Yeah. I don't think I should, can do this anymore because I'm so like I literally I thought I was gonna have a heart attack, but I thought, well, I should do it one more time. I yeah. don't want to quit when just because I'm terrified. Right. So I did it for a fourth time, and it was slightly better than the third time. So I was like, "Okay, so I can this conquer this too. This is how it works. You just <laughs> yeah. got to keep doing it." Yeah. So I got to the point where I was comfortable enough and I had a good little couple minutes routine. Yeah. And that was actually on YouTube for a bit and stuff like that. Nice. And I, I liked it and it got pretty dirty in parts, but it was it was all, uh, I was happy with it. Cool. And but now it's too that was just a good practice, I think. It's just good kind of disciplining myself to overcome that, to develop that thicker skin, put yeah. yourself out there cuz yeah. 
I've had uh, a bunch of comics on recently, and I'm a huge comedy fan. Me too. And, I love it. Uh, so I love talking to them. I love their heart. I love how thick-skinned they are. I love yeah. how um, how courageous they are. Uh, but there's one I had on... Um, Oh shoot! I'm gonna forget his name. I'm sorry, buddy. Austin. Uh, it was just on oh, a couple of weeks Austin ago. Austin Lundberg. Yeah, listen yes. to his. Yeah. And uh, super, super funny guy. And he yeah. does a bunch of open mic stuff here in town. And oh, I've yeah. actually started writing jokes. I, uh, I've got a little spot on my phone for it. And I find something funny. Oh, I awesome. put a title down, and yeah. then I start putting thoughts about that title. And then I start filling in the story. So my first <laughs> one was on our flight to uh, um, Nova Scotia for our summer holidays. I ended up, I, I won't do the whole joke, but I ended up sitting beside this guy. So I had a seat right beside my family. So three, my wife, my two kids in one row, and then I was supposed to be at the next one over. And then that guy, that dad got on the flight and they had separated one of his kids from him. So they came up and he had a little, little kid. So I'm like, right. um, uh, they came to me and it says, hey, would you mind switching seats with somebody so that he could sit with his two kids? I'm like, yeah, no problem. And then I ended up sitting beside this guy that obviously just got off of 10 days of stampeding and it was leaking out of him. That's the grossest smell. I <laughs> fucking hate that. <laughs> and so anyways, I've got about a, a four minute joke out of this particular guy <laughs> that I wrote and yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to, to, to working up the courage to go and say it in front That'd of somebody because awesome. I think uh, the one here in town, you have to go two or three times, meet the owners, tell them that you want to do it, come to the shows a couple of times and then you can go up and do an open oh, okay. mic so they won't let you just walk in and do an open mic right. they want to know you they want to see that you're actually you know funny that you're not just some crazy guy and like you get the jokes and yeah that that's kind of good yeah, yeah i think so yeah. too yeah. i hear about open mics down in like uh, la and new york and literally schizophrenic people are coming in off the streets yeah. to talk on a mic and it's you know it's scary and it's um it's probably not good for them either. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Sorry, I went on a long tangent yeah, there, and no, I really wanted to know yeah. your process. So, how did yeah. you? You know, it was a ten-year write to get the the whole book together. And yeah. how often were you writing? Um, kind of whenever I could find time, or whenever I'd feel the muse hit me, feel creative. So I, I wasn't very disciplined in like some people sit down. Well, I I'd do at least half an hour every day, or ten minutes every day, or I do this, right. and it, that wasn't me. And I'm maybe someday I'll get more disciplined on that end of things. <laughs> but it was kind of more like when I'd feel the inspiration and be in a good place. For me, too, I have to find I really have to work on quieting myself down. And okay. it's, it's almost a meditative process. But once you get to a certain zone of just calm and that, then the creative juices can really start to flow and come up. And then, So how do you get into that zone? Like what, do you, what methods do you use to get to that, that calmness or meditative state? Um it was more hit and miss in the past, but lately like, I've, I've been probably for the past, might be close to a year now, or at least six months, I've been doing more meditation, like not every day, but I have this meditation app that I try to do at least a couple times a week. And, yeah. and I find the more I do it, the more I want to do it. It's one of those disciplines cool. that pays off. It's kind of like eating healthy. Like when you yeah. eat, eat like shit for years and then you start <laughs> eating healthy, the more you eat healthy, the more you want to eat healthy. Right. You know, it fuels that. Whereas you can eat lots of junk and then you want to eat more junk. Right. But it's kind yeah. of that same thing. So hundred <clears throat> percent. Yeah. And I know you've talked about this in the past too. And I've heard you say that on the podcast too, because of Nicole and nutrition and health. Yeah. And the more you feed the healthy the more you want that. Yep. Like it does feed that, right? So for me, meditation, like as I've been working with this app, taking 10 minutes out of my day yeah. and just quiet down, calm down. And it's very, it's like a prayerful meditative time. And it just helps me to um, calm my own 
mind down because that that's the problem I think with a, with a, with every human being is that th- if you're not aware of it your thoughts just continually just run 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 and it's like yeah. a it's like a a loop that just plays based on your past experiences and traumas and joys and everything everything right. feeds into it and if you're not aware of it it'll just run rampant and it'll take you wherever it wants to go and it it has no clue because it's just ego it's just thoughts it's just right. whatever it's so interesting you talk about this because yeah. that's just something that I started uh, this year um, mm-hmm. was um, the way I start my day. So I used cool. to start my day tired and just kind of like, what yep. do I got to do? And, you know, kind of prioritize your day is into tasks instead yeah. of getting your mind right first. And so yep. um, I started with uh, um, daily scriptures and um, oh, what's it called? Um, shoot, can't think of the name of it. Anyways, whenever you uh, set time aside for reading the Bible and meditating and stuff like that. So I set time aside for that. And literally when my eyes wake up, open up in the morning, I flip open my phone. I go to uh, my Bible app and I read uh, the Bible. I do my devotions. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) I do the devotions and it takes me, you know, 10 to 20 minutes. So before I get out of bed, I've got this attitude of gratitude. I've got this mindset of, you know, a conqueror, a warrior, this, you know, and of course I, mm-hmm. I, I pick the stuff I want to read because it's the stuff that motivates me yeah, the most right exactly. now. I don't dig into the really, really deep question stuff at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. I, I dig into the stuff that gets me. It's more of a, a Joel Olstein than a, a deep theological right, uh, right. read, right? Uh, uh, but it's been made a difference. Like yeah. It's made a huge difference for me totally and i would like to find time in the day to do the same thing mm-hmm. but then all of a sudden i get to work and it's just like it's running for 10 hours yeah exactly and that's the the meditation app i use is uh you're familiar with sam harris i don't know if you're yes. familiar with him yep. um and he's great i got his book too his guide to spirituality without religion but then the app is just is great but i like the stuff he just reminds you during the meditation the 10 minutes I'll, it comes up just in the course of my day too, and I'll catch myself sometimes. I'll be like, "Oh yeah, okay, I just need to." I've realized I've been lost in thought. I've been running down this or my emotions. You know, why am I angry or having these? You know, like ah, this fucking guy at work and driving me crazy. And you know, <laughs> right. like, okay, wait a minute. I'm allowing myself. These thoughts have been there because this guy was annoying or whatever it was. Yeah. And then it started to run with that, and it leads to the emotions right away. The emotions are right there, and you just yeah. feel like, oh man, I'd just like to get back at him. <laughs> but all these things are just like, you know, to catch it in the moment is really good. Then you can, okay, I need to step back. Okay, right. now's the time to notice that this is coming up, and not. And I'm really have been really bad about beating myself up or judging myself because yeah. we we um, we assume because we're feeling this or thinking these things. I'm a terrible person, or you 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 believe that you are your thoughts. Right. You identify yourself as that person. Right. Who's who's just an <clears throat> asshole? I've got these you know thoughts that keep. Why do I keep ruminating on this? Why do I keep? Why am I stuck in these emotions and behaviors? But realizing, okay, no, just just acknowledge it. That's what's coming up. Yeah. And then you can step back. And the more you do it, the more you practice meditation, like any discipline, the more you're able to make that to separate yourself a little bit from those thoughts and emotions yeah. and you actually begin to be able to exercise choice right. in that. I can choose to stay angry. I could choose to just keep thinking about what a jerk this guy was yeah. or I can choose something else. Yeah. And it's incredibly empowering when you realize, holy shit, I can actually, when I would have been stuck for days on this in the past, now it's hours or now it's minutes. 
Right. And I'm able to correct myself and say, no, you know. <clears throat> it's so interesting because um, I think that self-evaluation is the number one step in everything. And, and yeah. nobody or very few people evaluate what they're doing. They're always evaluating everyone else. And one of the, the yeah. number one things in the Bible is thou shalt not judge. Yeah. And that's what we do all day long. That's all we do is judge. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Instead of just turning it inwards and go, yeah. why am I angry? Yeah. Well, why is everyone at, or angry at me? You yeah. know, that's one yeah. that no one asks. Or like, why does everyone yeah. disagree with me? You know, yeah. If everyone says you're an asshole, you might maybe, be an maybe asshole. Maybe the common denominator <laughs> is me, right? Like that's the, right. To realize that. Like, yeah. And to think, oh, I keep running into the same shit and then blame everybody else or blame right. your, your external circumstances. Well, wait a minute. If you're the one who keeps running into this, yeah. The common denominator is you, so take a look here first. Yeah. Right? What's going on? Yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the true human journey, I think. That's the true... And what you were saying about the more you do it, the more you're better at it. When we had... Um, I'm so horrible with names. Uh, uh, it'll come to me, but the, the medium on the show. Christine. Christine, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I had lots of people uh, in my church kind of like, well, be very, very careful. Like, yeah. this is dangerous. And I agree. There is some danger in it. There's danger in everything There's in life. There's danger right? in everything in life. Yeah. <laughs> but what she kind of got across to me, and I, I kind of had mediums put out as the scammers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then when I listened to what she was trying to do, I went, oh, she's not a scammer. She's trying to develop a skill where she can help people in their life. Yeah. And I don't know that she's good at it yet. I don't know if she'll ever be good at it, mm-hmm. but she's working on it every single day. Totally. So it's hard to believe that she won't be great at doing this yeah. one day. Yeah. And it's unfortunate there's so many scam artists out there yeah, or they're they're, yeah. they're misrepresented maybe. But yeah, uh, yeah it's just it, everything's a skill in life, right? Yeah. Controlling your emotion, controlling um, uh, the people around you even can be an emotion. You can light people up and take them to the next level or you can bring them back down, calm the situation. We all yeah. have this ability. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I liked. I really loved that. I loved numerous episodes of your podcast. Thank but like, you. yeah, Christine's like talking, like her, her level of intuition and what she's going for is this being highly intuitive, yeah. highly empathic, and just able to connect with that other person, and, and things do come up, like you're able to help, yeah. right? I think you there are genuine people that can do that. Like you say, unfortunately, there's a lot of scammers that give them a bad name. Yeah. But like I even realized, too, like after listening to her episode and I was kind of thinking about it, I was like, yeah, I if I'm not careful, once again, if I don't have a disciplined mind, if I'm not doing that due diligence, then those other people's emotions can come in if I don't have those clear boundaries. Um, and then, like, I've struggled so much with anxiety and depression in my life, and I think some of that is kind of my my own issues and my things, but some of it is the people I'm with, too. If I'm not careful, those emotions come in, whereas if I'm disciplined, I can establish my boundaries. This is where, and then I can help them, too, in those moments, too. I and agree. it helps myself as well. I can keep myself from getting all anxious and depressed because I'm able to just engage with them, be present in the moment, yeah. and then also call bullshit when it's bullshit too. That's right. part of those boundaries, right? Like, right? So if you're dealing with someone who wants to leech off of you or who wants or just has a lot yeah. of negative energy, yeah. a lot of negative emotion, you're hey, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. No, you need to deal with this. This isn't my thing. And when you're able to be clear, yeah. disciplined yourself, you can then be help other people with that too. Yeah. And it establishes that. And I think that's when you can really connect. This is one thing we're working on in churches, trying to get yeah. people healthy. And the healthier you are, the better you can help other people. Exactly. Right? And so like to say that church people need to go out and be helpful, that's a that's a no-brainer. But how helpful can they be if you're not 
hopefully, or if you're not in good shape yourself, right? Exactly. Um, and so we're working really hard. We're, we're leading a program called uh, um, Financial Peace by Dave Ramsey, giving it away to the community so that yeah. they have the ability to, you know, when you get your finances in order, um, it's amazing what you can do. And I think not many totally. people are good at it. And we've done another one called God's Plan for Your Life that we co-hosted where... Um, uh, when you understand what your plan is going forward or you can develop a plan going forward, it's amazing what you can get done as yeah. opposed to just, you know, the sailboat without the sail, right? The the law mm-hmm. of navigation. You don't go anywhere if you don't have a direction. Yeah, exactly. um, and then we're starting another one called Being Anxious for Nothing. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's another one that's really biblically sound and people don't understand that all these emotions are great. Right, it's it's good to be angry. It's good to be yeah. happy. It's static, depressed, anxious. It's just not good to be one of those for a long period yeah, of time. Exactly. But if you can understand why you're anxious, or if you're anxious all the time, then dig into why What's and just on? change, yep. make that change inside of you. Right. Yeah. But it's people like Christine and you and. You know, a lot of the people that I know or that I bring on the podcast is that they found something that they're digging into and getting great at. Right. And when you can be great at something, well, then you can pass that on to somebody else. Right. So I find that uh, so encouraging that, that there's cool. people that have that ability. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about the kerfuffle. He's trying to get my phone. Okay. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's a, it's a long, hard road. Like it's, um, especially when you've had a, a struggle for so many years. It's like you need to deprogram yourself because you're so used to always falling into that same pattern of yes. behavior, of thought, of emotion, right? But as you discipline yourself and are able to slowly get out of that, it gets better and better. And it's you're able to, like you say, like then you can help people. Yeah. And I think the whole scriptural thing, like thou shalt not judge, until you have dealt with yourself, it's the whole, you know, deal with the log in your own eye before you can help somebody with the <laughs> speck in theirs, too, right? right? So the, yeah. the, literally, the focus should be the log is the big problem, not right. the speck. So deal with the log, that's your own stuff. Yeah. But once you do deal with that, once you're clear, you're disciplined, you're able, you're in a healthy place, healthy emotions balanced, and you, you feel what's appropriate in that moment, yeah. whether it's angry, anxious, depressed, happy, joyful, you're able to do you know, function well, holistically, then you can actually see clearly, hey, you you know, buddy, you do have a speck in your eye. Like, you know, Chad, there's this one part of your life I've noticed. Maybe you want to look at this. Right. Because I've noticed in my own life this same thing, and I've I've done these things, and I've gotten better, but I noticed in this one area, maybe you want to take a look at that. And that's when you're able to, but you cannot do that when you haven't dealt with your own shit. Then you're just a hypocrite. Right. Because then you're just saying, hey, Chad, you know, you're screwing up over here in your life. Yeah. And, well, wait a minute. Hell are you wait a minute, me. Nathan. <laughs> Take a look at yourself first, <laughs> right. buddy. You know, like, yeah. we, we all hate hypocrites because, and I've been a hypocrite. And we've all done it. Right? Oh, yeah. You know, because yeah. it's way easier to judge the other person than to judge yourself. Right. To be have a sober mind and really reflective and actually deal with yourself. Yeah. That's the hard work. So what do you think encourages people? Um, so I have this challenge um, at work where I, I'm, I'm, I'm in this spot where I need to motivate guys. And I think yeah. the best way to do it is to make their life better. Right. And it's not telling them, because I can tell them, I'm the boss. I get to control their paycheck. Yeah. I, can, I can make them do anything the hell I want them to do. Yep. I just want them to be good, happy people. Yeah. And so, but how do you get someone to start self-evaluating? How do you get somebody to go, hang on a second, Maybe I could go get some help in this, and maybe my life would be better tomorrow. That's a that's a good question. Yeah, that's tricky. I've, it's come up for me a few times, just in when I've had a good relationship with some coworkers and different things, and 
when I've shared some of my own struggles and the fact that I see a, a counselor every month, like, cause my work is great. We get the 12 free sessions a year, like the employee family assistance program, which a fair yeah. number of bigger employers have. Yeah. Um, and you know, I take advantage of that and it's been hugely beneficial. So I've shared a bit of that and, and then people feel safe to say, Oh yeah, you know what, you know, that might be a good thing and maybe I'll do that. Right. And those kinds of things. So I, in the context of relationships, I've been able to encourage guys to, to look at that or they just naturally just re- recognize the value of it and they'll go do it themselves, right? They'll, then they'll right. pick up on it. As a boss or as a supervisor, yeah, how do you deal with some of those tricky things? I think it's it's one of those things where you just have to have very clear, very clear boundaries again yourself. Yeah. Like as a supervisor, you know, you can recognize, you know, and sometimes you know the details of what's going on in somebody's personal life. And you're like, oh, man, they're really going through a tough time. And I know that. Yeah. But to hold them still accountable, that they still have to maintain a certain level or they still have to, you know, when you come to work, you can't be an asshole to me or anybody else. Right. Just because I know what you're going through could be really tough. Yeah. And that's, it's not easy. But it's that clearness of saying you still have to not lash out and take it out on others. Yeah. And I think even just by holding them to an, a steady account like that while still communicating that you care, like it's not like, you know, I want you to, to yeah. get help. At 5.30, come see me and we'll yeah. help you work through yeah, this problem. exactly. Like I'm, I, in that sense, you know, my door is always open or I, I want to talk like, yeah, you need help or anything or I can share yeah. my own experience and we can do that at 5.30 yeah, when the day's done. Right. Uh, but now like you have to, and by holding them to that as much as it, and it, I've been there too where my life has been shit and people have still right. held me to account and it's really difficult to still perform sometimes even at a base level and just do the bare minimum. But being held at that, it, it almost, it's like a, maybe a that little goad or a little something that right. like, oh man, I still got to do this and why can't I? It's because I got this shit in my life and it almost right. forces you back to facing that shit. Yeah. Whereas if you, if you enable people, if you, well, okay, you're going through a tough time so I guess you can really drop the ball in this or that. I just can't. I don't have that ability. I think I, know. I lack a sympathy at such a high level. <laughs> it's retarded. It's, I'm sure you'd tough. ask my kids and they yeah, would say, I yeah. lack sympathy. I love yeah. people. I really, yeah. truly do. Yeah. And I want them to do great. Yeah. But when they don't want to, I'm like, screw that guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it yeah, goes exactly. out the window so fast. And you know what? I think the older I get too, like I, I am very much, a, especially when I was younger too, I know I'm very much a people person and very sympathetic and empathetic. And I got that from my mom, you know, totally that way yeah but the older i get the less tolerance i do have for bullshit or for right. people like and i think that's good like i'm glad the more the older i get the more i realize like the old expression that you do not suffer fools gladly right mm-hmm. because ultimately you're not helping them or yourself right you're hurting yourself by allowing that and you're not helping them get better because they think they can get away with that then and that's their new standard oh i can continue to be an asshole or i can continue to do this or i continue to Whereas if you hold them to that level, what you are communicating, and you can do it totally in love and care yeah. with for them because you do recognize, you know what, the best thing for you is to not get away with this shit. Right. Really, the best thing for you is to face your issues, and I'm going to gently push you to that and by holding you to this standard, right? Yeah, I started at work where I forced guys to set goals. Mm. And it's only for work because I can't force them to do it in their personal life, but it sort of right. yeah, exactly. relates exactly. personally where you like, if you would solve your household problems, then you would get this work done at work that you're not right now. Yeah. So, like, whatever you need for help, let me know. I'll guide you in the right direction. But this is your goal in the next six months. And I do employer reviews every six months. Yeah, that's um, good. And I've had guys that, you know, where you like, I can't believe they've even got a goal. Like, where you know things are so messed up. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they come to me like, oh, I really want to do this. 
oh, that's awesome. So what are you doing to get towards there? And that's my next question. Yeah. And then I've got other guys that seem to be like pretty smart and in a pretty decent place. And I'm like, so what are your goals in the next six months? And they're like, um, uh, I, I, I haven't really thought about it. I'm like, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How'd you get to where you're going if yeah. you didn't have a destination? Yeah. Like you're just, did you trip and fall on it? Like, I, I don't know. It just yeah. doesn't make sense to me. And I think sometimes too, like people who are really, really smart or talented or gifted in certain areas, you can almost start to rest on that. Yeah. Kind of rest on your laurels or your natural abilities, so it can get you a it can get you to a certain place in life yeah. where you actually do pretty good. Yeah, but you can coast because you're you're pretty good, or you got the skills or smarts enough yeah. to coast at that level. And then yeah, it's easy to realize one day, wake up, well, I have no ambition, no goals, no direction. I've just been kind of coasting at this certain level, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's when you can say to these smart guys or whatever, like, come on, like you can do better. Right. I know what you're capable of. So then set this and shoot for something more because that it it empowers you. Like I find like the more I do have that goal or just a a desire for something more where I can push myself just personally, get I can get more disciplined in my mind and yeah. and, and physically I can eat better and I can get some exercise. And the more I this little stuff that I do and, and the more I want to do more of that and the more present I can be in the moment instead of being distracted with technology and distracted with all the stuff in the world. And I can be present with my wife. I can be present with friends if I'm out with my friends. Right. Like it just feeds everything. And then you just want more of that and you want right. less. And you just naturally start setting aside more and more distractions because, no, I actually am really valuing this. Yeah. This is so much better. And those those can be small goals in a sense, are very personal goals. And then that, then you can transfer that. Then you can start setting actual more external goals or career. Okay, if I know I'm capable of this now, then why don't I shoot for this, you know? It, it's one of, uh, Joe Rogan says this all the time. He yeah. says, once you know you can succeed, you sort of know you can succeed at everything. So right. be, be great at one thing, right? Yeah. So for him, it was Taekwondo. And he went to the highest level of Taekwondo or near highest level of Taekwondo. Yeah. And ever since then, he's like, oh, well, I can get the top of anything. Yeah. Like, you know, you climb Mount Everest, what else can't you do? Like, <laughs> yeah, what, what, exactly. what, what line do you draw yeah. in the sand after that, yeah. right? And I don't yeah. think we need to go to those extremes. No, but, like, but that's very true principle. Learn to play guitar. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a super, super hard thing to do. And yep. you could be excellent in it in three or four years. Yep. And then all of a sudden, what else can't you do? Like, yep. it, you know, it doesn't have to be winning the UFC heavyweight title or, you know, becoming a tennis champion or, you know, yep. a champion it just has to be that you are conquering something set a goal and conquer it and then do the next one and i know lots of people are stuck in dead-end jobs or stuck in things that are not don't feel any kind of passion or human goodness in that like they're just stuck so find some if you if you can't make that way in your job but you're kind of stuck there for now then volunteer somewhere do something outside that that you a cause you love, you you know, you love animals, go volunteer at the animal shelter, you love this or that, find a little something, a little slice of your life that you can excel at and do what, and it feeds everything, then it does bleed in, right? I totally agree. And then you then you can actually go to your job that's, it can be a shitty job, and we've all worked rough jobs <laughs> and shitty, shitty jobs, jobs, right? Yeah. But it, you can go back in with a better attitude now, because you're like, I'm feeling, I'm feeding myself, my soul, my heart in this good thing here. And right. I, my attitude is just naturally going to be a little bit better the next day I go into work to yeah. Tim Hortons or wherever or drywalling or whatever it is you're doing. Right. And you, you know, you don't, you know, you don't want to be there for your whole career, your whole rest of your life, but your attitude's a bit better because you're doing something you love right. over here and then just try and feed that as much as you can. I think that's true um, of every job. Yeah, like there, there, I think there's so many people. There was a study that came out. I think it was something like seventy-two percent of men hate their job. Yeah, 
like hate you hate your job and i've been yeah. there i've hated a oh, lot yeah. of my jobs they've they've yep. sucked um i'm i'm i develop my my role now um and so now i love my job but prior to where i am right now over the last 2 years I hated it. I hated every minute of it. Yeah. But I had other things going on. I had a ministry that I was doing. I had, you know, kids that I was trying to grow into good people. Yeah. So, you know what? I can I can spend 10 hours doing something that sucks. Yeah. Um, because I had all the other things that that, yeah. that job was funding or, exactly. or taking care of. So I, I thought about this a lot. So... Um, as you were talking about being in counseling once a month, and um, I've got another friend that does counseling quite often, and... Um, I've often thought, like, do I need counseling? Should I be going to counseling? And and I'm not sure what the answer is. I'm not sure whether I need it, whether I can do it on my own. But I'm super, super interested in it. So mm-hmm. what what are your thoughts on, you know, how many people need counseling or need a pastor or need some kind of guidance? Um, I'd say 100% of people, <laughs> <laughs> really. At the end of the day, yeah. like, it's it's you can get benefit out of it. Like, it's I think people have this, this huge stigma around counseling, like, oh, you got to be really fucked up or are you suicidal or what's, what's going on oh my right. god like you don't I have a hard time admitting it to people like I'm it was hard for me to admit that to people I would you know people I knew well and confidence and things like that and my family might would know but that was kind of it but I realized yeah it's you know you can benefit no matter where you are at life and everything can be going great if you have one thing you'd like you know I'd like to be a little bit better at this one thing yeah. then you could benefit from counseling or a trusted pastor or friend advisor mentor yeah. like my counselor has helped me through some issues but he's also kind of a mentor too it's almost a life coach sometimes it's like all these things where it's just I want to be better at things I went to see him starting two or three years ago whenever it was because I was still struggling with depression and things like that you know I'd gone through three years of excellent counselor after my divorce and really helped me and but I still recognize I was still falling into these ruts I'm st- and I it was frustrating and why is this happening and I just I want to get better yeah so I went in with that motivation right and uh, but whatever your motivation whatever you want to get better at it's like the ancient way of of learning anything is you go, you attach yourself to a guru or a master or something right yeah. you want to get good at martial arts Learn from a black belt. You go and spend time with that black belt. Right. You want to learn to be a monk while well, you go and study with the, you know, the Dalai Lama or some monk. Tibetan or, monks. Tibetan, like you, yeah. you do that. You you literally immerse yourself in that life and learn from the best. Right. You learn from them. Yeah. And follow their way. You want to be a follower. You call yourself a follower of Christ. What was Jesus like? Read the Gospels. Who did he spend time with? What was his heart? Okay, right. you, to get like that, you surround yourself with people like that and pursue that. Right. You know? And that's that's kind of how I view counseling or, or anybody that can help you simply get better right. or pursue what you want to pursue. Why aren't you pastoring anymore? <laughs> uh, the, Is it all the curse words that kicked you out? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. The YouTube videos of my open mic, they're like, not a chance. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> the door's closed. Yeah. Um, I, the thought had crossed my mind. I like My last church I was in was a great church in Calgary. Unfortunately, it's closed its doors. It was a small church and it was struggling to make ends meet. Which one was it? Trinity Church of Calgary. Yeah, I remember so, that. Yeah. yeah. It was a really good, like the most gracious, open church that I've ever been a part of. The pastor, the lead pastor, was an awesome mentor. Like I, I can count on one hand the mentors, supervisors I've had that have been exceptional, and he's one of them. Yeah. Um, Terry Faw. And... Um, I've had. I think I've met him. Yeah, he. I think he's still working in at the Ambrose University College in Calgary. Maybe that's as the chaplain yeah. and stuff like Kay. that and teaching. Um, excellent, excellent guy. Like at an excellent level. So once again, you want to learn something, 
you know, get mentored or attach yourself to someone like that. For me, I found it's ironic. I found church work. I found being a pastor soul destroying uh, uh, at a certain level. I've heard this. Yeah, and, and it's unfortunate. But like uh, George Barna, a well-respected evangelical Christian a sociologist, he's written lots of books and he's done studies. About seventy percent of pastors report that their quality of life goes down after they join the ministry. Being oh, a pastor, sad. being a pastor for seventy percent of them, their quality of life drops. There's something about it, and I think it's the structure. I think it's the highly structured nature of organized religion of any kind, but yeah. like a church, it's very prescriptive of this is how you need to be, this is how you need to act, this is what you need to think, this is what you need to believe in order to fit in, in order to be a part of us, in order to do that. That's not really the way of Jesus. Jesus didn't approach people that way. No. He, he approached people with love and care and genuine wanting to help them, yeah. and he saw things in their lives that needed fixing, but his first, he comes with them with love and openness and hey, you know, follow me, follow my way. And as we go through this journey together, yeah, we'll grow and learn and you'll change and you'll naturally want to get rid of those things that are holding you back. Yeah. But instead, it's like in churches, we're like, you'll get rid of all those things first, then you can come in and be welcome. We're put on that happy Christian face, make sure everything's good, everything's great. Oh, you know, Jesus is wonderful and life is wonderful. Meanwhile, you're depressed or suicidal or your marriage sucks or this is happening or you're in a dead end, you know, whatever it is in life, right? But we feel this pressure just by the nature, I think, of an organization to fit into an organization that has a certain culture. None of that is actually Christianity or following Jesus. It's just the culture of that organization. It's the same as at a job, right? You go into, you work at Costco or you work wherever. It's a specific organization with a specific mission and a specific culture. If you fit, great. Like, if, you're, if you align with that, awesome. But if you don't, you're going to struggle. <laughs> you know, you just will. And it's the same in a church. You know, if you, don't, if you don't fit in well with that particular culture and that particular organization or whatever else. Yeah. And for me, I think I had to wrestle through my own demons, through my own issues, through my own stuff. And being a pastor, I was realizing I was trying to fit into this mold that just wasn't me. That's mm-hmm. not my fit, right? Um, I loved aspects of it, and I loved the people. And it was great. And I, you know, I love preaching sermons or doing different things like that. But realizing that I had to, there was something about me not fitting in to that structure. I needed to find out what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? Well, if you want to be like him, where did he spend most of his time? Well, with the homeless and the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the people that nobody else wanted to spend time with or the marginalized. And I realized that's my heart more so than running programs and preaching sermons and leading a worship service and playing guitar and singing in the front, which I've done. Which are all important, Which too. are important, but, yeah, you got to find your fit, right? Right. Like what, is, what do I want to devote my time to and realize, and I want to devote my time to people and I want to devote my time to this, but I just wasn't fitting well in that structure. Yeah. You know, but I loved it, yeah. It's, it, was a, it was a tough thing to kind of go away from. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm going to pull this out. Yeah, Eric, yeah. What's, what's time on the uh, recording? 40 minutes? Thank you. I'm going to pull that out for my pastor. Okay. Uh, because I, I think it's important. I watched pastors suffer. The The last church I was at, I watched a pastor literally nosedive. Like, mm. I think physically his health was going downhill. I I, um, yeah. I don't know what the right term of it is. I call it menopause. I know that's not <laughs> the, the technical term. But yeah. I think he had a severe decrease in testosterone. Yeah. I watched his decision-making go all to hell. I watched mm. the church fall apart. And I, I I tried to talk to him. I tried to lead him into like, let's just get some good fatty foods in you and yeah. let's go for a walk every day. And But he didn't want to listen to anyone else. He was set in his ways. And, and I get it. 
Right. Especially as a dude, we just get our so headstrong. We get and, stubborn, totally. And and I feel bad. Like I, I love the guy to death, but he drove it to a point where we could no longer go. And we've gone to a better place, I think, that we're that we love. And but I don't ever want to see that happen to a pastor again. I yeah. don't want to ever see um, my pastor now, Pastor Corey Cope. I don't want to see him have those struggles. And so you know, I I try to do as much as I can and help out. And you know, wherever you need me, I'm going to be that guy. Just right. yeah. whatever problem you got, come talk to me because I'm I'm a problem solver. That's that's what I do for yeah. a living. That's, that's what cool. I do as a person mm-hmm. because I've seen it happen and it's heartbreaking. You know, you've probably is. seen it in friends and you felt it as a pastor mm-hmm. as things start crumbling down around you and yeah, it's just it's it's hard from the outside to watch. And totally. typically people that are suffering don't don't reach out. They don't exactly right. And that's why, like, if somebody says, like, even like you saying, I wonder if I should see a counselor, then 100% you should. It's awesome because you are reaching out. Like, people who, it's sad when people just feel like they can't reach out or they can't because they're, the suffering's so overwhelming and the, the yeah. stuff that's happening is so, it just colors <clears throat> everything and you can't see clearly and you're stuck. And it's, and like, yeah, for me, like, as a pastor, the pressure of, and some of it's self-imposed, some of it's from the community and everything else that you have to still do all these things, or this is what it means to be a Christian. And there's something almost unnatural about being paid to be a Christian. <laughs> and that's what a pastor is. You're being paid <laughs> to do what you, everybody that. should all do. Right. Where if you call yourself a Christian, well, you do it. Right. Follow Jesus. Why, why am I getting... So I, it, it always struck me as odd. Why, why am I getting paid to be a Christian? Why am I... Well, to have a professional Christian versus a lay person... <laughs> What, what it's so weird, you know? It's like the NHL stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, you know what? Like, shouldn't we all be doing this? Shouldn't we all be pursuing this? Yeah. And and it's awesome to hear what your church is doing. Uh, those things you were sharing with before the podcast, because I yeah. think it's so crucial to help people get get counselors into your church, or get mentors, or get people in uh, those personality things. Try to understand yourself. Try to understand your issues, and how do you grow? Then how do you how do you get healthy yeah. individually, and then as a community, you can be right. healthy. But to, to think that you can sit there passively in a pew while a professional Christian up front <laughs> is going to tell you know tell you this is what God thinks and this is what you should be doing and okay well my pastor said so therefore it must be right or the worship leaders or they sing the songs and make me feel a certain way and therefore right. this must be all right no uh, you need that more one on one you need that more if you really are suffering and people like that are depressed or all these things they need that one-on-one care. They need pr- people that can come alongside and help yeah. and say, you know, you need, you know, you're going to need this and here, let me help push you in this and let me help you with this and let me listen. Let me just listen to what's going on and truly empathize. And, yeah. and that's a thing. So that's encouraging to hear your church is doing that because I think that's where you need to go. Just for listeners so that uh, they know what we were talking about was uh, my pastor is very much about untwisting their past. So we all have hurts and we all have cultures that drove yep. us in the wrong direction. And and he's really about how do you get healthy enough that you can love others? So the scripture, yeah. love God um, and love yourself. Um, that That's that's essentially what we're basing that off of. But yeah. how do you love others as you love yourself if you don't love yourself that much? Yeah. So let's learn about you. Let's yep. fix you so that you can be a lovely person that is likable. And what I like so much about it is it, it's lining up with everything that Pastor, or Pastor, Dr. Jordan Peterson uh, oh, okay. talks about is, you know, one of the rules in the book is first do what's right for you. But not only right for you, it has yeah. to be right for you and your family and the community in the world. Mm-hmm. And not only all that, but it's got to be right today, tomorrow, and 10 years and the rest of your life. 
Mm-hmm. That to me, if you base your decisions around that, like, why am I doing this? Because, you know, people think, well, you just got to go help. Well, oh, let's give that guy a bunch of money. Let's give that guy a bunch of money. Let's give that guy a bunch of time. Yeah. Well, that may be not the best thing for you. It's good to give, but give out of your budget. Like, set a budget mm-hmm. first before you start giving <laughs> yeah. so that you're not broke, hungry, desperate, and angry and resentful because you gave. And then somebody else has to help you because you're no longer able to, like, yeah. Yeah, like, yep. there, there, there's reasons that these principles have lasted for 2,000 years and that they work. And it's unfortunate that so many people go, oh, you know, Christian, there, there's definitely bad Christians out there. There's horrific Christians out <laughs> yeah. there um, with that Baptist church down in oh. the States, oh, uh, Westboro Baptist, Westboro yeah. Baptist Church, like those people could not be further from what the scripture is is yeah. is stating. Um, uh, so it's it's scary when you hear that, and I get it. You know, it's scary to go into a church because how do you know? Spend five years there, and all of a sudden they're the Westboro Baptist Church. <laughs> yeah. Son of a bitch! How did I end up here? <laughs> exactly. This doesn't make any sense. Exactly. You know, yeah. to to find a good scripturally based church, and because it revolves around people, that you know, my last pastor, he's an awesome guy. He, he is, but. You know, I think he had some physical struggles, which led to some mental struggles, which led to a church falling apart. Yeah. And and that's really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But you can't be resentful about it. Did you do everything you could do? All right. Well, now I'll go do it somewhere else. Yeah. That's just what we're going to do now. Yeah. How did we get so far away from your book? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I love talking about all this stuff. But yeah, I, I do too. So, uh, blood and gods. Yes. Uh, we talked about you meditating to get to the point where you could uh, start writing again more. Mm-hmm. Um, took you ten years to get this book together. I'm guessing the next one's going to take you three. Yeah, it's it's slowly getting quicker. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I've started because uh, I wrote the I wrote book one and I self published that and then. But it kind of ends on a cliffhanger. And so I wrote book two, and then I sent that out by PDF to people that I knew who had read book one and wanted to know what happens. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, uh, you know, I don't want to self-publish again and spend a couple thousand dollars and only sell a handful of books. And right. so I started sending it out to mainstream publishers. And, and it took me about a year, but I actually, you know, an independent press, a small press out of the te- Texas, but, you yeah. know, kind of the more traditional publishing model took it. And, and now that I've got that out so at least it's books one and two it doesn't end on the total cliffhanger but it does end open for more stories yet to to happen and just the other day it was a week or two ago I sat down and was just thinking about it and all of a sudden I started getting ideas again and the outline started coming out for books three and four which is very exciting I love that outlining process and mind webbing things and just okay this is connected okay this can happen these characters can do this and this can happen over here so yeah it's very exciting now to to know okay books because originally I had I call it um, it's blood and gods and then it's books one and two of the creator's quatrain because okay. I wrote a little quatrain, a four-line poem that's at the beginning of the book. Yeah. But I also thought it'd be cool to write four books. Yeah. That would be kind of the quatrain idea, this four-thing idea again. Yeah. So yeah, books three and four is in the works, and yeah, hopefully it'll only take me maybe three years, <laughs> something <laughs> like that, instead of yeah. five or ten. But. I I love um, I love hearing those stories on how things come together because I mean there's there's some basic rules for story writing, for book writing, novel yep. writing, stuff like that that you could Google and, and get all that information. Mm-hmm. But finding out how the individual does it and and that yeah. know that you know if you only wrote two pages this year, that's okay. Yeah, don't stop. Yeah, don't stop. That, Be- that's the main thing. Yeah, and do not co- like it's so easy to compare yourself to others, right? Yeah, and I've gotten st- I've gotten 
stuck and stagnant because of that, because I'm like, oh, shit, you know, I'm no good compared to so-and-so, or I can never do what so-and-so does. Like, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, but yeah. I was reading so much Stephen King at one point, I'm like, I'm never going to be able to write like this. Like, how exactly does he do that? Or, and then I realized, no, don't worry about how he does it. Right. Worry about how I do it. Just do what I do. We and already got a Stephen King. We already got a Stephen King. That's right. We don't right. have a Nathan Beckert, though, so <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you know, I can do my own thing. Yeah. And uh, actually, Stephen King has written an awesome book about writing. And usually... To, I heard to, about this. It's called On Writing. Yeah. And he's, his sense of humor is great, so it comes through in the book the par- at parts, but it's also just brilliant. And the way he lays it out is inspiring as a writer to read it and go, yeah, oh, I can resonate with that. Because so often to read a book about how to write is so dry and boring. (laughs) It's like, oh, my God. But his book is great. And he talks about there's two main types of fiction writers. There's the architect and the gardener. So you get a person like George R.R. Martin who wrote The Game of Thrones. And if you're familiar, probably watch the show. But I've never re- watched an never episode. Was, no. I'm one of those horrible people. Yeah, that, that's okay. That's <laughs> totally okay. You got to. One thing you probably not if you don't love the genre, you won't not naturally go to it. But I've read the books too. Yeah, and he, the books are brilliant because they're so detailed and it's so you can tell he's an architect. That's yeah. his style. He's plant. He's plotted it all out. He'll have a huge outline. He knows all the major families in his universe and the clans and the you know, and the groupings, the kingdoms, the histories, everything. Like he's done so much behind the scenes work to get to the point where he then writes the story and the detail is just infused throughout but the gardener type of novelist is what Stephen King is and I'm kind of like that too where we get an idea get inspired by an idea and then you just start writing the story yeah so you don't have a full outline worked out you don't necessarily know how it's going to end you just start writing this idea because oh what a cool idea I could have a story about so-and-so, and this happens to them, and this is going to... Okay, and you just start writing. And it evolves on its own. So actually, the book Blood and Gods that I wrote, my main protagonist was going to be Ari, um, and he's still a main character, but he's secondary. As I wrote, the character Lilia became the main character, and okay. I loved that character. So I just ended up... At, or it organically evolved the gardener style as I wrote. Yeah. She just more and more came to the forefront, and she's my main protagonist, and Ari's a secondary protagonist, and... And it was just cool how that just evolved. And I yeah. didn't, and I had an idea sort of of how I was going to end the first book. And I, start, I started getting an idea. So I had a bit of direction, which does help you write because you, it guides you as you write the story. You know kind of where it wants to go. Yeah. But even that evolved as it went. Yeah. And now even, and that when I finished writing book two, I, I kind of gotten some um, clarification or the story was able to come to a bit of an ending, but still being open. But it, uh, yeah, it's just neat how it evolves. And I can now see, okay, now I know where I want to take it further and make it more even of an epic. And it's going to bring in the more and more peoples from in the world and yeah. all this kind of stuff. But it's just kind of fun to have it evolve as you go. <laughs> that, that, that's what I love to hear is that I think when you grow up, you have this idea that you know writers are writers and firemen are firemen and comics mm. are comics and mm-hmm. that that's not for you. Right. But the the truth of the matter is that uh, I or Eric or you know any one of us can be a writer. Mm-hmm. All you gotta do is write. Yeah. Like just sit down and do the writing, and then yeah. if you find out a year from now that oh I hated every minute of sitting in front of that computer and banging out those keys. Maybe you're not a writer then. Yeah. Maybe you're a storyteller. Maybe you're a storyteller. Right? And this is the joy of life is that we can spend this. You can try. You right. Can try all these different things. Yeah. 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 Um, we keep going back to Joe Rogan, but he did that um, uh, that video a while ago about inspiring people. Like, this is the time in our world where you can write your own story at any given time. Like, whatever you want to do. Yeah. 
Just go and do it. Just be the hero of your own story. I think that's I've the title say of that. it. Yeah. And uh, it's so brilliant to think that that's what it can be, right? Yeah. Um, I know because uh, Eric, my son, is a producer here, and we talk about the show, uh, the podcast all the time. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? You know, we're live on Twitch for the first time, and, you know, we're, we've been on – what's that? That didn't turn out. That's okay. <laughs> next um, time you'll be live on Twitch. <laughs> next time we'll be live on Twitch. We, um, you know, we went onto YouTube and and we slowly yep. are growing this thing. And he go. He asked me one day. He was like, "Well, where do you want to take this?" And I'm like, "I want to knock Joe Rogan off the number one spot." <laughs> nice. Is that a twenty year, a thirty year, or a three year plan? I don't know. Yeah. But I know that I want to gain followers. I have a growth plan. I have, you know, how do I appease the the masses plan? I have, you know, and maybe that'll change. I think I'm a gardener as well. Maybe yeah. not in writing, but in, in you learn what as I you do, go, right? A lot of it, yeah. On the job training, which is so true in pretty much every, like, you learn as you do it. Just keep and just be open. That you know? that's the lie that everyone believes is that oh, I don't have the training, or I'm not yeah. smart enough, or I'm not anything. Well, I got to go to school for this or that, or get the training for this or that. Or can I tell you, <laughs> I'm I'm a dumb drywaller, <laughs> ungraduated, uneducated, doesn't read a whole bunch of books. I lead a seven million dollar company. Not the biggest company in Canada by any means, but it's a big company, yeah. right? I um, I have that ability. I grew into that ability exactly. with zero education, right? Yeah. Um, am I the best at it? I don't know, but I can keep working to find out better ways of doing what I'm doing. Yep. And I think that's all it is. You know, the, the CEO of Coca-Cola, I don't even know who he is, but... He didn't get there because he had the best education. He got there because he busted his butt and did the job as well as he possibly could. Yeah. There's no other way to get there. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. some nepotism and stuff like that, but yeah, you know, it, you know, it is what it is. But the yeah. the truth of the matter, all we have to do is put the work in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like like look at me, I'm a philosophy major, a philosophy graduate, and I'm yeah. a garbage truck driver. <laughs> And a relief foreman at times too. It's hard to do the yeah. supervisory stuff sometimes, but I'm a garbage truck driver. And yeah. that's not to de- denigrate that. Not no. to, I actually, I love my job. It's actually a great job. Yeah. And I love working for the city of Lethbridge. And I love doing all that. It's great. Yeah. But yeah, there's no clear path. Like going into university, I thought I was going to become a professor. You know, I wanted to be a philosophy professor because I just loved philosophy. But that didn't pan out. I realized that's not what I want to do. Yeah. And I was a pastor for a few years thinking that's what I wanted to do and then realized that's not what I want to do. But it's you got to try these things, put yourself out there, find something. Eventually, you can find something you want to pursue or whether it's in your job or your hobby or a volunteer or whatever. Yeah. And it, the more you can devote yourself and really invest yourself in it, the more you get out of it. And then it really feels itself and it starts to go, right? We, um, our group uh, um, is starting a book called Being Anxious About Nothing. Mm. And one of the things, uh, we have a few people in our group that suffer from anxiety. Um, one that's uh, actually diagnosed OCD, um, which brings along a lot of anxiety with OCD. Yeah. And one of the things they were talking about was that our goal should be peace. That's the center of the ball, right? Like you got anger and depression and happiness and all these things all over the place. But if you could find peace, that's amazing. It's not the top, though. That's what people don't understand. That's only about halfway up the mountain because there's still joy and ecstasy and right. and not that that we should not be angry or not be anxious or not be depressed. There's a time and a place for everything. There's right? a time for Literally. it. Yep. But if the majority of your time could be peaceful, that would be great. Yeah. But imagine if a majority of your time was joy. Like you woke up in the morning happy. You woke yeah. up in the morning and every person that you saw brought joy to your life because you brought joy to their life. And I went, yeah. oh my goodness. 
like it changed my goal setting uh, scheme right. inside my head that like, yeah, I like to be peaceful. That's great. I like mm-hmm. to be challenged too. Like I, I'm for anyone that's done the Enneagram, um, which I have, I'm a number one. I love conflict. Mm-hmm. It, right. To me, it's the, it's one of the most inspiring things that you can do is to have a debate with somebody. Yeah. And I don't mean punching each other in the face or arguing, calling each other names, but for you to say, Hey Chad, you're wrong about that. I'm like, Oh, how am I wrong about that? Yeah. Tell me how. Yeah, you're not afraid to engage in that level. Con- and so many people are. So that's yeah. a huge gift to love conflict at that level, right? Because, and I've noticed this about my own life too, is I, I grew up thinking that, you know, peace at all costs is what you do. So you don't, oh, don't disagree with somebody or don't cause waves or don't yeah. do that. But that's so destructive. And like that fueled a lot of anxiety and depression too, because yeah. I would, I would, I would um, suppress myself. I wouldn't speak up or I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't be who I really am or say these things. But, true conflict not punching your face conflict but <laughs> right. just relational i disagree with you right. is incredibly valuable and our society has gotten so polarized and people freak out if you disagree with them yeah it's gotten so thin-skinned and so weird that way yep. to have that oh, so, the mic, <laughs> to have that uh, <laughs> that desire and ability yeah. It's one thing to do, to to like conflict because there are assholes who just like to stir the pot just to stir the pot. <laughs> right. But you're not like I know you, yeah. right? You you love it because you see the value in that and engaging honestly with somebody. Right. And you're, you're you're totally open to hear, hey Chad, you know you shouldn't do that. You're screwing up. Oh really? Why? Or what 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 am I missing? What's wrong with What's that? wrong with that? Let's yeah. talk about it. No, you're not going to freak out. And you can approach somebody else and say, hey Nathan, why are you doing that? Like right. no, the, conflict is not picking a fight. That, that, that's, that's right. That's that, the thing. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, I I had that earlier in our marriage where I'd ask my wife like well why do you think that's true and she would be frustrated and she's not good at conflict she doesn't like conflict and so you know I'd back right off and you know why am I picking a fight and or she would say why are you picking a fight I'm like well I'm not picking a fight I want to understand why you think that way right it's not that I even think you're wrong maybe I'm wrong right right and and of course my ego gets in the way and sometimes you're wrong but (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly but yeah like if we could just not be on a team Right, yeah. you, you don't have to be red. You don't have to be blue. You don't have to be. Yeah. You don't have to be on a team. Yeah. Maybe the team is the world. Yeah. Maybe the yeah. team should be your whole family. Exactly. Right. That could be the team. And yeah. like, how 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 do we get this team to the next level? Whatever yeah. our goal is. Exactly. Why yeah. why do you, why can you only be in relationship with someone if they totally agree with you? <laughs> Or if they, you know, like, well, you know, or if uh, they don't, then you're going to be like, screw them, or that, or I'm going to hate that person, right. or I'm going to hate that part of my family. And, you know, I've been there, and I've been that with, with, with friends or family or whatever else, but no, that's not, that's a psychologically very unhealthy place to be, you, right? You know what's funny about that, and I never thought about it before you said it, was uh, my dating life, I didn't meet my wife until I was 30, so I dated right. lots prior to that, yep. and I met people that were just totally about conflict, and but it was yep. more fighting. Yeah. Um, and then I met people that were just 100% about, like, oh, whatever you want to do is fine with me. And I dislike those people so much. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. to me, it was hard to be around that person more than the person that wanted to fight with me. Hmm. And not that I think fighting is good, yeah. but I like conflict, and I don't like when people cower away from conflict. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Because... To, to, to somebody like that, it's it's like you're not really dealing with a human being at all. There's not a real person there because they have no opinion, no voice, no personality. No, they're not coming from a perspective. They're just like, hey, whatever you want, whatever you want. They're just like, and I've been like that, the welcome mat type person or whatever else. But that's 
in the sense that's you're not a real person. Like, who are you? What do you want? Like, what is your opinion or perspective or belief? Yeah. And where are you coming from? And are you willing to be challenged? Yeah. Are you willing to pr- to put yourself out there and say, this is what I believe or think, but I could be wrong. Like, you know, my, my views, my spiritual views, where I'm at right now spiritually and all this, you know, I'm growing and getting, I think, a better and better understanding. But I always have to be open to hear from someone with a different perspective or right. a different belief or to challenge, well, why do you think that, Nathan? Or why are you like this? Or have you thought about this? And yeah, okay, I have, or this and that, or no, I haven't. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Why do you think that? Why do you believe that way about God or spirituality, yeah. the divine? Have you evolution? found a church in Lethbridge? No, we tried a kind of couple different um, ones. Church originally. shopping. Church shopping. Um, my wife never grew up going to church. Her mm-hmm. family was kind of Catholic, so they'd go maybe a couple times a year. But she always kind of had an interest or a curiosity. So Easter's. She, yeah. Christmas and Easter Christmas Christians. Christmas and Easter, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, oh, I forget what my friend calls it, too, like a... Playoff Christians, they only come for like the, the playoffs, the big things, <laughs> Christmas, right. Easter, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and so my wife was very Thank curious, you. and she actually tried, like she went, uh, I think in her teenage years, early 20s, she went to a Mormon church, Christian, every kind of church trying to find it, and ended up going to Catholic Mass and liking that the most, I think, because she yeah. resonated with that, because from her childhood, with the few times she'd gone and things like that. Me, I'd grown up in the church, and I was coming out of it feeling more and more like for me, it just put God in a box constantly, and I didn't fit there either. Yeah. I was I needed to find my way outside of that to yeah. figure out what do I believe. And for a while, and I even this past year was a real struggle. Um, after my mom died, and then after uh, I had like almost a delusional episode. I can go into greater details <laughs> off the podcast, maybe. <laughs> okay, sure. But but I had a real struggle, almost maybe a mini nervous breakdown at work, or just like stuff happened, right? Yeah. And um, I kind of pretty much lost my faith for about a year. I was like, I don't know if I'm agnostic or atheist. I don't know what's going on, but I just, I can't believe in this. Because if I kind of got delusional in my own life a little bit, and I had this bit of a nervous breakdown, but in the middle of my delusion, I was 100%, 100% convinced it was real. You couldn't convince me otherwise. Right. So then I looked back on all my spiritual experiences that I had, and I had kind of, quote-unquote, almost mystical moments of God breaking through and all these things, but I was like, well, that could all be bullshit too. Mm-hmm. That could all be made up delusions uh, fueled by my life circumstances at the time. I have a very creative mind, right. and the downside of a creative mind is it can make stuff up. Right, It's powerful that way, but you got to manage that power. That's part of that discipline. Like, the more I'm disciplined yeah. in my mind, it helps my creativity. <clears throat> I don't Because otherwise, if my creativity is left on its own, who knows where I might end up. Right. But uh, so I kind of questioned. I started going back, and, and it was actually good. It's good, I think, to question sometimes everything. What because it forces you to decide, well, what do I really believe in? Why do I believe it? Right. What is this built on? So I came out of this year kind of once again, my faith has kind of been reignited, but it's once again even bigger than before. Like it's not this narrow view of who Jesus is or was or what he was doing, but it's this if Jesus is God or if there is a God, if God is God, it's for everybody. This is a human right. thing. This yeah. is not, I'm not going to limit it to my own cultural experience of Christianity in North America in this particular denomination. Right. That's so narrow. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I can be I can be open to what God has in the world, yeah. wherever I happen to... And that's why, like, philosophy, studying philosophy was um, strengthened my faith, and being in the church as a pastor was soul-destroying, <laughs> kind of crushed my faith. It's so... it's It seems paradoxical, or seems... Right? But, like, in philosophy, I would learn about other traditions, um, think philosophies, and, and religious traditions. I took comparative religion, and I just, I could see God wor- at work in all these things, right? It's yeah. like, this is so cool. I can see the common ground that we have. 
And this is God reaching out everywhere, not just to me in my particular little cultural circumstance here. And so that actually strengthened my faith to believe in a God that's bigger than that. Um, so well, I think I said before we got on the podcast, like it's yeah. ridiculous when a Christian thinks they know everything about God in the Bible. Yeah. And that's that box that that's they, we, yeah. we call it Franken-Jesus or yeah. whatever, right? Like yeah. the people have this this um, belief of what it should be based on movies and parents, but they never really dig deep into themselves, yeah. right? And I get it. it, it it's hard. Life is full of challenges. There's always things you have to do. There's there's a never ending barrage of stuff to take care of and to learn and to grow. Mm-hmm. And maybe we're not supposed to under and understand everything. Yeah. You know, this is the faith bit, right? Yeah. You you have to have some faith to move forward. That you know, in everyday life, when uh, a man leaves the, for the day for work, he has to have faith his wife is going to be faithful. That right. his kids are going to show up. That the bus driver is not going to careen off the road. That you know a gunman's not going to come into the school. Maybe that's a bad example right. for what's going on in the world right now. But we all leave with this faith yeah. in the morning. You we wake all, up yeah. with a belief of something, and based on what? Yeah, because people aren't good as a as a as a whole. We're yeah. all a little bit of assholes. <laughs> yeah. We're all a little bit jerky sometimes. We're all a little mm-hmm. bit disappointing and so yet you get up and you believe that your wife is going to be faithful i do you're living by faith i'm living by faith. we all live by i've thought about that too we live by faith actually every second of every day right like to to walk out your door and go to work you're believing that everything is going to you know your car will still be there you can be able to drive you won't get hit by this you're planning you're living (sighs) by faith right right because there is literally an infinite amount of things that are outside of your control right you have no control over it what could happen? I could have an aneurysm uh, five seconds from now. Right. But I'm living as if I'm not going, like I'm on this, you know, like we live by faith. You live by faith all the time. Jordan Peterson says, he goes, when he has a person comes into his, he's a clinical psychologist. And right. so he has patients that come in and they work through problems. And he, someone comes in and goes, well, I'm anxious all the time. He goes, I don't know how everybody is an anxious all the time. <laughs> we know we're going to die. Like yeah. me and you both know yeah. that's going to happen, <laughs> exactly. right? There's no getting away from it. There's whatever story you tell in the head, you know it's yep. not true. You're going to die. Yep. And we're the only creatures on this planet that know for a fact we're going to die. Yep. And yet we get up. And most of us aren't anxious. Yeah, I know. We actually <laughs> stop and think. Like, if you really want to just stop and think about all that death and, yeah. and what you don't have control over, yeah, then you realize how how critical it is that we are able to let that go. Right. To live open by faith and, and just trust that, okay, whatever happens, and the really bad thing could happen. Yeah. Well, let's say your wife is unfaithful or your wife dies. Or right. let, oh, let's say you lose your job or the house burns down. Like, any really bad thing can happen. Yeah. But you have to live in such a way that no matter, even if the bad things happen, you're not going to be t- totally crushed and destroyed. You're going to recognize, okay, I just need to continue to be open yeah. And move as best I can through this world and live as best I can. Well, that that's what's interesting about some of the principles of the Bible, right? No matter what happens, it's all for the good of you for you. Mm-hmm. Like everything is designed around you. So when something bad happens, you go, Oh, yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. We'll move on. It'll be something better. Yeah. Right? The, yeah. the, we all have to live by that faith. Or, you know, I, I think about atheists and I don't really understand it completely, and and probably when you knew me originally, I was far from Christianity, yeah, yeah, and uh, I probably shit on it quite a bit and mm-hmm. said that it was ridiculous, and I had my aha moment and I learned something new, and now right. it's a feeling that you have that gives you faith, right? There, right. where deep down you go, oh, there's something way bigger than me out there controlling yeah, this, yeah, and now. 
Does he have total control? Probably if he wants it, yeah. or if God wants it. And I don't, maybe I shouldn't put a he on it, but yeah. whatever. She or it, yeah. I, I, I'm less and less willing to define exactly what the greater thing is, but yeah, there's, right. there's something infinitely greater or something there's power and yeah, to be open to that and just to yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand that atheist point of view. Mm-hmm. So why are you getting up in the morning? Why are you doing what you're doing? Like, what's the purpose of life? I think right. we get this, and, and and I hope I'm not offending anybody. That's not the purpose of this because I really, truly, again, love conflict. And I'd love to have an atheist on here and, yeah. and explain their point of view. Um, and maybe I'll even advertise that when I get off here to, to, do, to yeah. get somebody, uh, a strong atheist on here to explain yeah, it to me. Cool. That would be super, super cool, I think. Yep. Um, but I don't understand where, where your purpose, where your excitement, where your drive comes from if you're an atheist. Right. Like, is it just money? Is it yeah. power? Like, I, I don't know. I know so we have some really good friends in Lethbridge that are, that are atheists and they they're, awesome people, loving, peaceful, like great people. And I think they get meaning out of life just from the great relationships that they have, like their family, their yeah. friends, they're invested in their work, they're fulfilled in their work, and they just, they, you know, they're just good people, decent people, believing that this is all there is, is is this world, And but it's their relationships, you know, they're great spouses to each other, they're great to their kids. They're That's great awesome. To, you know, so it's like when I look at them, I'm like, yeah, they're they're living like they should. Really, I have really not not much to say to them at all. I can share my beliefs when it comes up, or my spirituality, or how I think there is something greater than just this. But yeah. I'm not sure I can be open to whatever else. But like, I can honestly be open to them because they are just really decent people. So I think it's, and I think for for the one or one friend, she never grew up in the church at all and had no ex- exposure to that, and has just her, her she's evolved as a person to be who she is now, and it makes sense. He came out of a Catholic background, but a very kind of hypocritical, yeah. uh, judgmental, guilt and fear ruled the day. You know, that's what they heard preached, and that's what it instilled in them. And he's like, this is bullshit. Yes. <laughs> and, and, I, and, you know, when I talked to him, I'm like, yeah, I agree, 100%. Yeah. That is bullshit. So I totally understand why he's an atheist in this sense, you know, like, because I think sometimes, too, you react against all that crap. Right. So I think people who, who just reject any kind of spirituality or religion, it's, sometimes you look at the what they were exposed to, or the system they were raised in, too. It's like, yeah, I would totally reject that, too. But in the sense, then, they just, they don't even want to think of, or just, like, it's all got to be bullshit because, that's you know? That's my thought. So we, yeah. ha- we have a couple I recently met that came out of the Mormon church about four years ago. Okay. Angry. Oh, like, yeah. They were raised in it, and Joseph Smith is a big lie. And, and um, so I think they're slowly getting at it, but they originally started with, all religion is a lie, right? right. So Joseph yeah. Smith lied, so now all of them are liars. Yeah. And I think that's probably natural. Yeah, uh, kind of a natural reaction we have, I think, to things like that. Right, know? but maybe not correct, right? right. Just because maybe, yeah. uh, a pastor or a priest or a rabbi does something wrong doesn't make all Catholicism, Christianity, or Judaism wrong, right? right? It's a person did this thing that you didn't like doesn't make it all a lie or wrong. Right. And that's what I think we're humans, people as a whole, just just can't get away from. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I had a, a, yeah. a guy, a podcast I did, He um, he's very against vaccinations. He got sick from it. Oh, but it's okay. a small percentage of people that get sick from it. And, yeah. and hopefully they develop a test so that they only vaccinate the people that don't get sick from it. That, that would be really, really good. Right. But he is such an anti-vaxxer. Yeah. <laughs> He's just through the yeah. roof crazy. I know. That he is angry 
all the time. And that if you say anything about right. North American GPs or vaccinations, that it's completely wrong. There's no, and I'm like, okay, let's just dial this back a little bit because I got my vaccinations and I'm 47 years old and I'm fine. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> right? So it's not all people. It's yeah. not all bad. Yeah. I would rather, you know, have the little scar on my arm than have polio or yeah, tetanus exactly. or, you know, whatever else I got vaccinated from. I'm yeah. pretty ignorant to this, so I'm probably ticking yeah. off a bunch yeah. of people right now. <laughs> but yeah, even if a small percentage, let's say even if a small percentage of those who get vaccinated uh, get autism or it leads to that, right. even if the, yeah. the, the science is extremely against, quest- that, yeah. against that, but yeah. let's, let's, let's play devil's advocate or play the argument out. Um, there's a very, very small chance it could lead to autism in this group or there's a huge chance that you could have serious health complications from measles, polio, Bella, mumps, mumps yeah. that could like cripple your child or or make them blind or de- or like or kill them. They would die in the first five years of life. Right. Or there's a very 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 small <laughs> chance this thing could happen. Yeah. It's it's weighing that out, right? And that's why we vaccinate is because the benefits hugely outweigh this very small right. risk, whatever else, right? That's my argument. Yeah. I, and I would say if I was going to be an advocate of anything right now, it might not even be vaccinations, but it might be. How do we get to test a baby to see whether this vaccination is going to hurt or harm them with genealogy nowadays? Right. Maybe we could. Yeah. Maybe we could. Like yeah. I did the whole ancestry thing, and what they're doing with that is getting a little bit spooky. They'll be able to, you know, yeah. insurance companies want to buy the information now. That's you know, scary. They're starting to rig yeah. the game. Yeah. Uh, where you're like, oh, no, they can write me off because they got to. The game is rigged enough from those damn insurance companies. <laughs> right. They don't need that other shit. <laughs> I, I agree wholeheartedly. When I did the 23 or the ancestry, Ancestry.ca, and uh, they said, you know, can we share your information? And I'm like, no, no, I have a family that if something happens to me, they need to get paid. So exactly. we, we're we not going to play this game anymore. And, and I'm sure there's going to come a day where they're going to go, yeah, we didn't really mean to ask you. We're going to give it anyways, yeah, and it'll yeah. be what it'll be. And I hope that the genealogy is far enough along that they can figure this out. Like, oh, we can't vaccinate, you know, all the letter Bs. They right. just can't be because they 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 don't react well to it. Yeah. Or we can just give them this portion of the vaccination. Like, come on, we're we're pretty smart people now. We've got things. Yeah, getting it pretty dialed in. Leon, yeah. Le- Leon, <laughs> <laughs> Elon Musk. I've had three beers or two and a half yeah. beers. It's getting it's getting silly now. <laughs> Elon weird. Musk is figuring out how to download information directly into our brain. Oh my god! Have you God. heard about this? No. Um, What's it called, Eric? Do you remember? Oh, is it like the Matrix? Will I be able to learn all the martial arts? Oh, they can just... I'm that so hoping awesome. that's true. <laughs> I am so on board. I've messaged Elon Musk personally now um, to say like, hey, whatever you want to test, I'm in, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. game. Yeah. You need to drill a little hole in the back <laughs> exactly. of my head and plug me in? <laughs> Neuralink. Neuralink. Neural, so cool. if he says... We're essentially cyborgs now, right? We right. have a we have a cell phone with us all the time. Yeah. They can do a million different tasks all at the same time. It's stinking amazing. Yeah. It's just not inside of us yet. And he says mm-hmm. the disconnect is that our ability to download information sucks as human beings, right? right. Reading, I have a friend that's a teacher. He hates me for saying this, and I'm sure you're going to get mad. I'm like, reading is the biggest waste of time, and like, <laughs> we need to stop doing this. There, there's better ways to get information than reading, and I'm not a fast reader. What? 
Really, yeah, really yeah, cliff notes, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, like in my mind, I can gain so much information driving around the car with earbuds in and yeah. and downloading information that way, which is the fastest way. It's 10 times faster than me reading. Yeah. And my comprehension level goes up 20-fold when yeah. I listen to it as opposed to reading it. And you're probably an auditory learner versus a visual learner, right? Yeah. Like there's different styles of learning, like different personalities. It's all, yeah, what, yeah. how do you learn best? Would you do it? Would you let them plug you in? Oh, my God. I don't know. I, I'd wait. To, I'd let you be the first guinea pig, and maybe okay. I'll be second. <laughs> Have you heard about these people that are getting sent to Mars? Oh, I've heard about that. I don't know what at what stage that is, but I know they originally were talking about... Yeah. yeah, it's a one-way ticket. I know. You don't get to come back. You don't get to have a family. My wife actually said she'd totally do it. And I'm like, you're insane. Yeah. <laughs> you're insane. There's no way. <laughs> I think Rogan said a joke like, he's got friends that wanted to move to Jersey, that he had to drive all the way over to their house and slap <laughs> them for being stupid. Like, dude, you're not going. How how bad yeah. are your friends that you're <laughs> yeah. going to fly to Mars on a one-way flight? Exactly. Like, you got some bad friends. Yeah. Time to, to reload that pot. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And look at the planet. Like, living there versus, like, living here. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. I, I don't know. But you have to have a pretty strong pioneering instinct and drive to want to do that. There and there are some people that are like that, and God bless them. You guys go. Right. Uh, it had to be that way when they, you know, explored North America. Yeah, or people like, getting on ships in Europe to yeah. sail to what they thought was the end, maybe the end of the world. Carve up a tree and put a sheet on it yeah, and sail exactly. across the ocean with 50-foot waves. That's, that's pretty insane, all too. All kinds of brave. I would have been the person in Europe saying, go ahead, not yeah. a chance in hell. <laughs> you go to Mars. You go to, the, you, know, yeah, you go find that. I, the passage. <laughs> I think in my single days, I have zero issue. I'm like, yeah, mm. I'll go on that boat. Yeah, I'll go do that work. Yeah, I'll go yeah. to that place. I, I wouldn't have it. Now as a family, you just go, I don't know. I got to be yeah. smarter than that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd still really like to do real bull riding, but my oh. wife won't let me. Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably a wise idea. Probably, yeah. yeah. No, I've got no desire to do that either. I can watch you, though. But Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you done any dangerous stuff? Maybe the most dangerous is rappelling off a cliff and stuff That's like that. That's pretty fun. It's fun, super fun. I love that. Um, we did that in Mexico, actually. My wife and I last year we went to a Mexico trip, and they those cenotes, those natural wells that form. Yes. Um, and we so we rappelled down in and then went swimming and down Very the water. Cool. Oh, that was awesome. So that <clears throat> yeah, dangerous. I got to tell you the story about when we were yeah. in Mexico. So uh, two, three years ago, four years ago. Three or four years ago, we took uh, my whole family went. My mom, my dad, my sister, all her kids, and then I took me and my family. We all went to uh, the Mayan Riviera somewhere. I don't remember the resort. So, anyways, we had a one plan a day. Eric was very young and got got uh, heat stroke. It's, uh, it's yeah. Mexico, it's, little it's white it's kid. Yep. Just cooked those little buggers down there. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, we had already paid the trip, and I'm trying to get him through this trip. He's literally like laying down in the dirt as they're talking about the Mayan ruins. So oh, we we went to the ruins. We went to a jungle where we got to see like some uh, trapped animals and some live oh, animals cool. and had lunch. And then we went to the cenotes where we would yeah. go down underground and swim through these underground uh, waterways, awesome. which was amazing. Yeah. Oh, and we swam with turtles. Oh, cool. So anyways, we get out into the ocean and Eric is in horrible condition. Oh, no. And like the, the people were being very good, trying to help us out. And like there's 50 people. We're nowhere near the resort. Like how do we maneuver this kid around right oh, so anyways they were all super awesome but we're out in the ocean and eric's like i don't feel good and he goes 
and he yaks right there. And so I'm like, yeah, you're feeding the turtles. Exactly. We got a good laugh out of that. And then I think you finally started turning around when we got down to the cenotes and we got him into that ice cold water and, yeah. and cooled him cool, off and he yeah. did better. But uh, unfortunately, I don't think he remembers much about that trip at all, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Poor yeah. kid was just tortured down there. That's rough. Yeah. yeah no fun. So yeah. back to the book. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go off on another tangent, I'm sure, of oh, yeah. Blood and God. So let's, yeah. let's get a, the, the overview of the book. Mm-hmm. What uh, tell us? Tell us what's what's in there without giving away the story. Sure. Um, my original inspiration actually was my counselor. Talked, you know, why are you building decks? So I went home and and I started thinking actually about it was interesting. I started thinking about the Bible and the power of the written word. Yeah. And I was like, when you write something down, you know, it it does change. It can affect reality. Write these ideas, um, things like that. And I was like, okay. So th- that was my magic in the world was that there would be some people who, when they write something down physically it affects the world. It, that, that What they write down will start to come true. Right. They have this magical ability, right? So that's the, the power of the written word, but like oh, magical. That's good. So that was kind of my initial idea that spawned. Then I, that's when I started evolving the story. Okay, so there's this ancient world or kind of a medieval slash Roman empire slash nomadic, um, you know, almost North American native nomadic peoples all kind of mixed together on this world that I'm going to create. And Few people have this power that when they write, so writing is 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 pretty much outlawed by the empire. So kind of the Roman Empire, I call Tritalia, is this empire city city state that's starting to get more and more powerful, and so it's starting to branch out and colonize and conquer people and yeah. to make itself wealthier. They've outlawed writing. They allow a few people to write, very carefully prescribed, but they the big fear and and is you know it's it's basically illegal yeah. so there are quote unquote witches or powerful people that are doing it but this empire tries to track them down and kill them and get rid of them because it's because know, of the power because of the, of the power, writing because of the power of the writing yeah um but there are people both within and without the uh, and outside the empire who start to practice it but there's also other power there's other magic in this world that doesn't have to do with writing just based on who the people are and and some of the animals too so i write about um kind of a great bird, the raptor. It's like a massive, massive eagle kind of thing. And the were cat, which is like a massive mountain lion type cat, but they're kind of magical, somewhat magical creatures too. Yeah. And some of the people discover their magical abilities. So as the story evolves, it's, it's yeah, there are some that writing is the power, but it's also some people discover their own innate power. Yeah. And it's all in how you use it. Right, so there's people that will use this power for themselves to try and get more power and control other people and get wealth and get fame or get whatever. But there are other people who discover this power and they can use it to help, to help people, help set people free, help fight against this kind of colonizing empire that's just going to destroy more and more for itself, kind of thing. So that's super cool. I like that premise because I talk about it at length. Like when when I talked about my guys at work, I'm like, Mm. write down three goals and just text it to me. Yeah, I'm going to show it to you like every month. There's something powerful about that to actually write it down. And I yeah, and I don't understand that. Like you, you meet a, a Tony Robbins or you know some of the top Hollywood actors or you know a, a professor that's you know you know Elon Musk that are doing these great things in the world, and it all started just by writing it down. That yeah. was it. Yeah, we had it as a family. We set some financial goals, and so we we mm-hmm. put a sticker on our on our uh, bathroom mirror in the morning uh, with mm-hmm. our financial goal, and we hit it. 
Yeah. I've never hit it before. I've yeah. never been able to do it in the timeline with what I wanted to do until I wrote it down. Exactly. Because when you have the goal and you just have the idea, but it's kind of this nebulous thing out there, but you don't, you know, it's like, it's really hard to keep that front and center, right? It's yeah. hard to keep that as a, a concrete reality. You're going to be pursuing this. But when you actually literally write it down and you at least review it, how it once a week or whenever you do, or you put it up as a post-it note or whatever, so you see it every day. Yeah. It's hard to ignore that because that's a physical reality there that's your goal that's what you're shooting for right and yeah. then it's like yeah you're much more likely to hit that because you're going to be thinking about it more because it's there oh yeah i need to reorient myself because you it's we need to self-correct i think as human beings on a very regular basis because it's very easy to start going off on a bit of a trajectory and then you just keep going unless you self-correct the small trajectory you're slightly off your goal but the more you go miles, the farther yeah. away like 10 years from now you'll be so far away from your goal right. whereas if you, as you start to go off you recognize oh yeah I need to correct a bit so you correct your direction back towards your goal a bit yeah. and you'll start drifting again but the more you can correct the more over time you're going to keep going back in that same direction so 10 years from now you'll be there instead of way over in left field kind of right. thing, right? 1% off over 100 miles yeah, is, is huge. miles off yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and and it sounds so simple and so ridiculous. Yeah, but it's so hard to do because we're so used to just, oh, whatever, just kind of going right. with the flow or yeah. not being disciplined to do that. And Yeah, yeah, it's crazy to me that, uh, and, and I've only learned it in my 40s, where I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to write that down. Yep. I'm going to place it someplace where I can see it every day, where it pops up on my computer screen in the morning or on my phone. Or This is important enough to me, I'm actually going to write it down. Like right. that shows something, right? Yeah, that, uh, you know, and, and some of it's crazy stuff, like be a better dad. Mm-hmm. That, that That's an important thing to me, to be a better dad. I write it down. like So when it pops up on my phone as an alarm, be a better dad, I'm like, what the hell yeah. does that mean? How do I do? But at least I'm putting some thought into exactly. it. And I don't have the exactly. answer. I don't know. How Eric to... was telling me earlier, actually, he's like, you, he really needs to be a better dad. <laughs> <laughs> my kids are pretty good at reminding me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. We, we had a massive blow in our house this morning with a 14 year old girl. Oh, um, yeah. It's better now. But yeah, it was, it was an ugly morning in her house oh, and I did yeah. not handle it well as a dad and I you, can only imagine I'm not a parent so I can only imagine yeah I mean well you you you've had yeah. relationships and it's the same thing right yeah. where you're just like you lose your mind over something and you react in a way and when you're done you're like that wasn't what I was trying to do at all yeah like, yeah. how did I get there yeah. <laughs> but people drive people to do things and people yeah. make mistakes and it is what it is but exactly. it resolved yeah. but yeah right on good you need yeah. to set goals of yeah. of to be a better dad to be a better husband to be a better employee to be mm-hmm. better for the world how about that write yeah. that goal down write that what down. does that mean yeah and then look at it in specifics too and like I'm really lucky like my my wife Michelle is awesome for me because she is not that we were talking earlier before the podcast I think yeah. do not suffer fools gladly <laughs> but Michelle has an extremely low tolerance for bullshit mm. for for that kind of stuff so my my relationship modus operandi you know kind of being anxious or depressed or withdrawn that does not go over well yeah like she's like no like you have to engage with me like why are you so distracted or why are you withdrawn or all this stuff but she doesn't do it in a beat me up way right, right. it is she did but she but she holds me to that standard and so the more i'm able to be present with her and be disciplined and you know practice what i need to practice personally to get better yeah and that it's great but yeah she's awesome because she's that type of person like relationships, whether it's with your kids or with your spouse, yeah, where you realize you got to be, you got to be pursuing the best you can be, right? Yeah. You got to have those goals. You got to be moving yourself forward so that you can be fo- as the best you can be for that person in that relationship, right? right. And Michelle's great because she has a very high standard, 
And so, you know, when I... You've got to step your I got to step up. my game up, yeah. which is awesome, right? And that's what I need to do. It's best for her. It's best for me. It's best for my community. It's best for the world, just like Jordan Peterson said, right? Yeah, like that's so beautiful. That's how we need to be, Yeah. right? And we're in such a distracted society right now with technology, with everything. So the more we can get away from that, the more we can be more and more present, be the best you can be for the person you're sitting across from because yeah. it's best for you and it's best for them. And then that'll be best for your greater group and for your community and your world because you'll be able to be that when you step out your door too, right? More and more. Right. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that we were talking about earlier about people being on teams. Yeah. And that, that's what it becomes, right? Is that like, I can't believe she talked to me that way. Instead yeah. of going... Why did she talk to me that way? Yeah. What did I do to create this yeah. as as a dad and a father? And and I know this. I'm not meaning this to be chauvinist, but it's my mm. job to be the leader of the family. Right. Not that my wife is not a great person and a great leader, but it's my job to be the leader of the family. And I right. do it with my wife, but I'm the leader. Right. And so when things go sideways in my house, the first thing I do is like, what the hell did I do? What what right. what did I do? Is it neglect? Is it you know not? Um, not uh, not doing my part as as a dad to or as a father or as the income earner or as whatever it is. Yeah. What did I not do? Or and as soon yeah. as I do that and I evaluate that, then I can realistically go after the problem. Right. Right. And whatever that is, and it's not yeah. me against Eric. It's me yeah. and him against the problem that we're having. Right. Right. Totally. Then you can you can solve things because it's not it's not red against blue or black against white. Exactly. Or, um, we're all on the same team. Right. That's what we the attitude we should have. And yeah, look at it when shit hits the fan to realize. Okay, wait a minute. Why was my attitude so shitty, or why was I so reactive in that moment where I lashed out at my family, or I did this? Why you know? So what's going on? Why was my attitude like that? What was I distracted? What was I thinking about? Was I was I enmeshed in my own issues and not facing them? Right, I'm not aware. Hundred percent. Right, and yeah. so, well, the more aware you can be, the more you're able to not just react based on how you've always reacted. Right. But then you can actually have the power to choose more and more. No, I can be better. I can react better. I can be more focused on helping this per- person with this problem instead of just reacting from my own need or my own angst or my own issues, right? Right. Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. I, um, uh, I, I I wish I learned this stuff when I was 18. Not <laughs> Me, that too. I, <laughs> Me too. Me <laughs> too. <laughs> I had uh, Jody Giles on here a couple of times now, and she's like this very much about self-awareness and self-growth, and she does a oh, daily yeah. blog, and it's, it's beautiful. And she's awesome. been through some hard times, but... And I think that's why me and her get along so well, and we can talk and criticize each other, and it's not a, it's not a in your face kind of thing. She's like, oh, I never thought about it from that perspective, or you know, she she's always right. so encouraging. But the one thing that she hasn't picked up on or understood yet is that she went through a really really ugly divorce, and so she's just like, marriage is not good. It's just no one should be in it. Like, how? Why are you married? Like, <laughs> right. why, why are yeah. you so stupid? Yeah. That, that's pretty much the way. Mm-hmm. And I think about that, and and my answer to her at the time was because I don't have to be on a hundred percent of the time. Mm. There's days when I'm a shithead. I've been overworked. I've been tired. I'm I'm dealing with issues, yeah. and I'm not a good person. But my wife will be that day. And so she takes care of the things that need to be taken and vice versa. When when she's lost her mind or or stressed out or whatever it is, I get to be the hero that day. Right. Right. And we can both solve the problem on our own, but for the team. Right. For our team. And and not be like, Oh, why is she being such a bitch? Because I think that's where people go, or why is he being such an asshole? Because mm. 
Oh, because I had a hard day? I'm not allowed to have a hard day? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, but exactly. that's that's the great thing about being in a relationship. Yep. When, when they're on your team, that they can go, hey, yeah, hey, I get it. Yeah, yeah, you had a hard day. Yeah. But I need you to be there. I need you to be this guy today. Yeah. Okay, I'll be that guy. Yeah. Then you go be that guy. And then you go bitch or whine or do whatever you have to do later. Yeah, right? yeah totally. <laughs> I know. It's awesome. Yeah, but it's like with Michelle, like she's so supportive and loyal and true and loving to me like because there's been the some of the shit that i've done or just my own personal issues like when i'm in my real insecure moments i'm like why the hell is she still with me <laughs> like you know why right. you know and she's admitted to me too sometimes she has the <coughs> same insecurities sometimes like oh you know nathan might leave me someday or whatever else but we have these natural insecurities all human yeah. beings do but to yeah. know that that person is on your team like i know like i have so much trust and faith in her yeah that she's got my back and I've got hers. So, yeah, there are days when, you know, I'll be a shit or I'll be whatever else or, or things are just rough. But I know yeah. she's there for me. She's proven it time and time again. Yeah. Right? And it's awesome. And there is that comfort level, I think, of that kind of marriage relationship or intimate relationship where you do know you can be – it's a safe place where you can – you don't always have to be on, like you're saying. Yeah. Right? But it's that pendulum swing. Like if you go through a bad divorce where you think all <laughs> oh, marriage is shit or you're in a bad church or a bad religion or a bad thing, yeah. therefore it's all shit, you swing to that pendulum – and there, I think there is a time when that's maybe that's necessary. That's a part of mm. our psychological healing time. Is grow is like I just got to turn my back on that because it was so destructive. It was so bad for me. Yeah. So I need time away from that, and it's all crap. And I, but eventually, it, to find a healthy medium where you can come back to some kind of, not that you have to come back to that, right. but you're able to reconcile yourself enough so that you're not bitter and angry and just hate. Right. That, because yeah. that's not a good place to be, yeah. right? And I think for me, like, I've been through a divorce, and it took me a while to convince myself that I could take the plunge again, because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we've been through it once, you're like, oh, yeah. God, and Michelle was awesome, and I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I want to be with her yeah. for the rest of my life, but I I thought that before, <laughs> and you know, it didn't work out, so I need to be, I was a little skittish, right? It took me a while, Yeah. but I'm so glad I did, and... Yeah, I can still, I don't hate the institution of marriage. <laughs> I think it, that when you're in a great relationship, you can actually, like, if my wife left me tomorrow, I'd go, I get it. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. Like, yeah. the, I'm, not, I'm not the best guy all the time. Right. But I'd also go, I got so much in the last 14 years that, you know what, that was a great gift. Yeah. That you could walk away from that yeah. uh, in, in you know, not that I think she's leaving me at all. I hope she's not leaving <laughs> yeah. me. Oh, my God. What have I started? No, I'm just <laughs> But uh, yeah. if she did, I, I hope that I would look back on that and go, man, that was a good 14 years. Like, that. Yeah. that's about as good as it can get. Yeah. 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 I look back on my first marriage, too, and I don't have, I can honestly say I don't have any hard feelings at all. Like, I've worked through that. Like, yeah, when it first happened, you go through all the bitterness and anger and yeah. confusion and everything else. But yeah. I look back, there's a lot of good times. We were both really young when we got married and didn't know ourselves really, hadn't dealt with our own issues really well. So, you know, we were <laughs> behind the eight ball from the get-go. Yeah. So it's no wonder it didn't work. Right. And that was at least 50% my fault, if not more. Right? Like, I don't look back on this and say, oh, it's, oh she was too... No, not at so all. So powerful. So uh, I'll tell this story. I won't use any names, but uh, a neighbor of mine, um, they did a big renovation on their house. I was a renovator at the time, oh, yeah. so a couple doors down from me. And uh, they didn't pick me, which is okay. They picked mm-hmm. another renovator, and the wife ended up sleeping with the renovator. Oh. So yeah. her dad, the cheater's dad, had come over to me because he saw my truck with the labels on it and all that or the decals on it and says, hey, we're in a real bind here. They're, they're not getting back together. 
the house is not finished. Uh, oh. This happened. It's horrible. He's a Christian guy. Mm. And uh, so we talked for a little while, and he's like, can you just come over and, like, figure out how do we get it finished enough that we can put the house up for sale? And, and he was doing this for his son-in-law because his daughter had just cheated. Right. So super mm. uncomfortable thing to be part of, no right? Kidding. Like, I'm going to walk over there, and I'm like, how do I talk to this guy? And, like... <laughs> It's just there's nothing comfortable in that situation, and the, this this guy that came to get me, her dad, um, was awesome. He was an amazing man. So, anyways, I go over there and I'm talking to the guy that got cheated on, and um, uh, I'm trying to make light of the situation. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm <laughs> like, I'm lucky to be married still. And then, and then, like you, you know, you're trying to everything to make him comfortable. And he literally looked at me and says, "Hey, listen, th- th- this is not a good situation for her or for me." But it's at least fifty percent my fault, huh. and so um, like he just laid it right on the line. Like that, th- this is this is what I didn't do good. Yeah, and uh, I'm not excusing her. It's not okay to cheat. It's not anything like yeah. that. But had I been the best uh, husband and dad, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, right. To and, recognize and, that, like, yeah. And I remember talking about that with a friend of mine at that church I was going to, uh, Trinity Church here in Calgary, after my divorce and all this. And I was talking with her, and I was like, Yeah, you know what? People look and say, oh, you know, can't believe she kind of left you, Nathan, and blah, 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 in a sense, she was the one who kind of instigated leaving and all this. And I'm like, yeah, but if I was such a great guy, would she, you know, why did she leave? Right. Obviously, she wasn't happy with me, so I need to look at me. Right. right? I can't just say, oh, yeah, she's a terrible person that she, no, that's stupid. (laughs) You know, like, that's not honest. That's not right. That's where you end up being Larry King and married nine times. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Talk about drama you don't need. (laughs) Good grief. Or cost. Or cost, yeah. Holy crap. You'd have to make a, you'd have to make a billion dollars a year just to pay all your, (laughs) good grief. That's ridiculous. I don't even understand it. No. But, but that's the problem with the world. Like, every, you know what, um, there's this, uh, documentary, the guy that did the nine one one movies, Michael Moore, he mm. did one called um, um, USA versus the World. Okay. And what he would do is he would go to these other countries and see what they were doing in some particular uh, facet of their society and compare it to the U.S. So, like, he would go to um, France. I think I watched some of that. Yeah, it was amazing. Really, yeah. He went to France and he looked at how they feed the kids in school compared yeah, to what happens in the yeah. U.S. And and so he did this this great comparison. I I found it amazing, but. Uh, I think it was it was either Switzerland or um, uh, I think it was Switzerland. I might be wrong, but anyways, one of the the the, the countries, the European countries, he went over and looked at their uh, penal system. I looked at how they punish right. people, and and so the guy that had murdered somebody, instead of him being in a you know six by eight cell and being beaten up every day and berated and and, and uh, made feel horrible. They were giving them skills. They were teaching them how to cook and how to butcher and how to do all yeah. these great things so that when his time was done, he was leaving with a skill set. You know, they didn't keep him locked up in a cage. He rode yeah. a bike to a house and then he rode it back to his compound where he was uh, um, detained for the night. Yeah. But they they fed into him instead of mm-hmm. punishing him. And yeah. in North America, we've got this this, this culture of punishment, punishment yeah. where everything you do, oh, you need to pay for that. Yeah, you're going to you're gonna right suffer now. now, and we're gonna. Right. Yeah, there's no restorative justice, but yeah, right. I think it might have been like Finland or something, one of the Scandinavian Maybe, countries. Because yes. I remember watching that yeah. that documentary. 
agree. Yeah, it was, it's, it's way better when you look at it overall. Like, mm. Yeah, you know at the end of the day there's going to be a very small portion that you probably can't save. There's going to be the true psychopaths or so right. whatever else. Yeah, hang Whatever. But for the vast majority of people, like, yeah, like we can work towards actually helping them to whatever extent we can. Like solitary confinement and what the shit they do like that is just brutal right. for humans. It's, it's torture. Well, it's so so this is the mentality is that, okay, you're bad, so we're going to take you away from people. Yeah. We're going to lock you in a box. Yeah. And now you're in a box and you're bad. We're going to take you away from even being around bad people now. We're yeah. just going to seclude you from Every human contact. That's so what, our what mentality. Do you, what do you think is going to happen to that person? How but does that affect your mind? 10, 20, 30 years, if, if they do get out, yeah. they'd be a, of course you'd be a monster. You'd be, right. you, you wouldn't be human after that, right. pretty much, right? right. Yeah. Punish but, a kid every single day. Yeah. See beat what kind them, of person. Beat them. Yeah, exactly. They'll, they'll turn out to be yeah. a, a sociopath and, and all that. There's a tribe, and I don't know if this is true, it's probably a meme that I saw, but it was a really cool thought anyway. So it's about a tribe in Africa. And if you do something against the tribe, you're, you break a law. As opposed to being punished or sent away, you're brought into the middle of the, the tribal ceremony area, and everyone circles around you and tells a story of something that you've done good. Hmm. That's it. That's your punishment, is that you find out how good you are for the community. That would be so humbling and just so, like, you know, in a sense, that would break you down too to realize, oh, I've gone, I, w- I went far away from what I really am or who, I, you know, right. who I could be at least. These but are thirty these people are, telling you thirty great yeah, things about you, yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, you would uh, you would weed out the psychopaths yeah, in that yeah, system, yeah, um, but you would also not create psychopaths in yeah, that system, exactly, yeah, yeah. North, that yeah. that. Melts my heart mm. when I hear stories about stuff like that, and I hope one day yeah. our society gets to a point where we don't have to punish somebody for their words, or we don't have to punish somebody for their thoughts. Because yeah. you know, most of my thoughts growing up were wrong, mm-hmm. were very, very wrong. And I never got yeah. punished for them. Well, I sort of got punished for them, but I, I wasn't yeah. held accountable for those thoughts. Yeah. And uh, as time goes on, as 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 we learn more, I hope the general population has that mentality. A little yeah. bit of grace. A little bit of grace, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. We're doing pretty good. Hour yeah. and 40 minutes in. Hour and 40 minutes? Yeah. Beautiful. Not even a lull or a dead <laughs> time. We're awesome. Woo-hoo. Glad I took that shot of adrenaline earlier. <laughs> I had yeah. written down a bunch of notes. I used to do mm. notes all the time. Yeah. I wanted to talk about philosophy in your book and comedy and writing. And uh, we haven't hit on Dungeons and Dragons yet, <laughs> um, which uh, you're a big That's fan fine. of. Um the um, the philosophy part is what I want to dig into. Yeah, yeah. One of the uh, we talked about so- uh, Socrates before I came, uh, mm-hmm. before we started the show, and he says, uh, I believe it's him. If you're gonna correct me, um, what a shame it is to live your entire life with not knowing your own physical limitations. Hmm. Is that a Socrates? That could be. Eric, you know, look that I, up. Yeah, see if that I know. Like he talked about, the unexamined life is not worth living. Yeah, and that's sort of that same principle, or like to examine your life or to really go deep in that. Um, and I guess that could correlate to pursuits too, like to really pursue, yeah. to know your limits, to push. If you're not doing that, you're not really living, right? Or you're not. If you're just kind of yeah, just laying back and, and coasting through life. Yeah. Versus. Yeah. I, I, I love that mentality. I hope I'm not quoting this wrong. That would be embarrassing. <laughs> um, I probably am. Eric's digging in. You want to throw it on the screen? 
Yeah, what a shame it is to live your whole life with not knowing your own limitations. Mm. That um, I, I think about that length because mm. a lot of people don't push themselves. I know. I haven't for a long time. <laughs> Jocko Willink is this uh, ex-Marine. Um, oh, yeah, he's been on the Rogan podcast, right? Because I've, I've heard him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's like total motivation. Every His Instagram is always about being up at 4.30 in the morning. To, You're right. A life without limits. No, not Nick... Um, oh, that's what it is. No man has a right to be an amateur. Oh, Click on okay. that. Hopefully we're not leading. No man has a right to be an amateur in the matter of physical oh, okay. training. It is a shame for a man to grow old without seeing the beauty and strength of which his body is capable. Hmm. That's what I was trying. Nice. Boy, did that's I butcher that, <laughs> eh? Holy crap. You got the right idea, though. <laughs> yeah. That... Um, uh, Jocko Willing talks about like most people run at about forty percent. I, I totally, mm. totally believe that. That yeah. uh, you know, most of my life I run at about forty percent. And I think mm-hmm. if I had to like be really critical of myself, I'd probably be at maybe sixty or sixty-five percent now of my of my capabilities. Right. So you know, when I hear someone like Socrates from all that time ago just saying like, how how. It's a shame. Like, why Why right. are you not testing yourself every day? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's it's such a trap, and I've fallen into it so much, too, but you get comfortable in life, right? Like, you, you get enough. Your job is paying your bills. Or it's You're getting by. It's yeah. very easy to just be lazy or to rest in that or to get stuck in a system of thought and emotion and whatever it is. Yeah. But to, to realize there's so much freedom and power personally when you just start to push yourself when you start to step out of your comfort zone you know I, why am i just staying comfortable in this i could try this yeah. and yeah it's kind of scary at first or it's this or it's that or it's hard at first because i'm not good at it because yeah. i haven't been doing it but i recognize the value in it and the more you do it the easier it gets and the better it gets and yeah you push yourself and there is huge value in that i think it was in the book um the way of man was talking about um at the right before the Second World War in Europe, that depression, anxiety, and suicide rates were at their highest they'd ever been. Huh. And then when the Second World War started, it went away. Hmm. All done. No right. more suicide. No more depression. No more anxiety. I'm not. Sh- I wouldn't say there's no more of it. That it um, uh, the the power it had had gone away. Maybe is the proper right. way of describing it. Is that there was a purpose now to your there's life? A, yeah, there's a purpose. Something to shoot for. Oh my God, we got this. Yeah, yeah I got to fight this. It, yeah. When when there's nothing, no risk of losing life, of losing your house, of losing your spouse, of getting sick, or nothing like the, the total life of leisure and comfort mm-hmm. comes along, why are you getting up in the morning? Yeah. Right? Like you have to generate some kind of strife in your life, whether that be physical or intellectual or spiritual or you yeah. know, whatever it is, you have to create that so that you don't get into these deep depressions or long-lasting anxieties. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, and you stay, like, so much of my life, it's, yeah, dragging my ass out of bed every morning. But lately, it's more and more like I get up and I'm like, okay, yeah, new day. You know, it's more yeah. positive. It's better, right? Yeah. Because I'm, and there's another great quote. How does it go? A ship is safest when it's in harbor. But right. that's not what a ship is made for. <laughs> right? I love that quote because, yeah, if you want a ship to stay safe, 
you anchor it in harbor, in a harbor, in a port. Right. But that's not what a ship is made for. It's made to sail out in the ocean. 50-foot waves, yeah. whales, sharks, yeah. all that and kind of stuff. Who knows what could happen, but that's what it's made for. That's it's right. It's like us, too. We're made for something more than just staying absolutely as safe as we possibly can. And let's protect ourselves. And yeah. Oh, my God, the world is so scary and it's so <laughs> negative. And, oh, my God, don't listen to that. Don't have a psychic on your podcast, Chad. All these kind of things. <laughs> that's fear mentality. That's like, oh, my God, we've got to stay safe. We've got to stay safe. We've got to right. protect ourselves. A well, welfare mentality. Yeah. Well, for me, this, this, this extremely limited mentality. And, you know, yeah. it's like, well, what does the scripture say? Did we, Christ came to give us a spirit of fear and timidity? and Or did he come to give us a spirit of power, of, of self-discipline? self-discipline yeah. All that kind of stuff, right? Are we supposed to live in fear and guilt and shame and hide and protect exactly. ourselves? Or are we supposed to live something else? I think it's Galatians 2.20. We were not designed for a spirit of fear and timidity, but of mm. power, love, and self-discipline. Uh, yeah. And uh, I love that scripture. I had that yeah. uh, highlighted in my Bible for a long time because it's yeah. just, you know, when you have those bad days and when you're feeling like crap and you don't want to go to work, that's not what I was designed for. I wasn't designed to lay in bed. I wasn't yeah. designed to take it easy. I wasn't designed to yeah. take the easy path on this. Right. We're, we're doing the next bigger thing today. That's right. what we're doing. Yeah. And it seems to be hold more true the more challenging it is, hmm. right? Yeah. So, like, yeah. you get up in the morning, you're fighting with your wife and your kids, and you know someone forgot to pay the bill, and then nah, 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 and all this is going on. Okay, this is the day we're gonna we're gonna hit the next challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Well, you know what, Nathan, I, I gotta thank you. This has been awesome. Yeah. I, I uh, it's been a few years since we got to sit down. I know and yeah, uh, have a discussion. We should do this way more often. Totally, and we should do it on the podcast. Yeah, I I totally. Yeah. yeah. If you'll have me back, I totally come back. <laughs> Every three months. Let's just okay. book it right now. Every yeah, three yeah. months you come back on the podcast. Eric, put that on the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> so tell everybody how they can get your book. Uh, so right now, if you go to Black Rose Writing, um, yeah. that's my publisher. So blackroserwriting.com, and you can just search for Blood and Gods. Um, yeah, they're right now until October 24th, you can pre-order it and get like 15% discount, I think. Nice. And then, so it actually gets released October 24th. Beautiful. Uh, so I've got a, like 20 copies, 25 copies, I think that I'll get personally. And then, you know, people who know me can get a signed copy there. Or, you know, if you pre-order cool. and get a hold of me, I'll come sign it or whatever else. I'm gonna find Beautiful. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a signing next time you come. Yeah, that we could do that. Totally. It'll be that big. That'd be fun. That's what I'm thinking it's going to be. Awesome. We'll do a podcast Postcast. and we'll go out in the front deck and we'll do a signing. <laughs> awesome. Sweet. I'd be up for that. So everyone check that out. We'll put the links in our um, description on our social media and you guys can pick up the book whenever you want. Um, Eric's giving me a sign for something. Just say it out loud. Oh, we will, yeah, after the show. <laughs> um, so, again, thank you so much. I enjoy you're having thank you. Thank you. And you're That's always great. welcome out here. Um, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. And we'll catch you all later. Eric, you want to go to outro? Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. This podcast is over. <laughs>